0: Yeah, beauty. All right, so um, you're listening to What's Your Voyage. I'm your host, Hamish McLaughlin-Lessie. We have co host this evening, William Twist. we got Owen Haig behind the mic and on the video cameras. Thank you very much. And we have none other than South Australian state parliament member for Adelaide. The one and only. <laughs> the country girl. That's it. <laughs> that has come to the big smoke. <laughs> G'day. <laughs> Lucy Hood. <laughs>
1: thank you for having me this is awesome
0: <laughs> you're welcome so yeah just before we we're talking about Marcus Aurelius yeah. so let's continue that because stoicism and Marcus Aurelius is pretty cool it
1: is um yeah so you were
0: saying that quote about like death being around the corner mm. and using that as a fuel to the fire to actually take your life on
1: that's right so um I recently read uh, Meditation's uh, by Marcus Aurelius. Um, I'm kind of interested in that kind of line of uh, philosophy um, because it's really just talking about how um, rather than thinking, oh, well, what if I had 20 years to live or 30 years to live? Like, Effectively, you are dying right now. Um, and don't look at that as a negative, though. Just think, oh, okay, so this is really important that you just live uh, in every moment and, and make the most of everything. So... Um, yeah, there's this amazing quote that he, he says in meditations, which is, you know, we're basically just a soul carrying a corpse. Um, and some people, again, might think that's negative, but I just think it's really, like, beautiful that um, uh, that we should just make the most of every day and, uh, yeah, live life to the, to the full and not really sweat the small stuff if you can.
0: Big facts. So when did you actually start getting into, like, Prob- stoicism?
1: Yeah, so probably um, for a few years, um, but... Because I've been campaigning, I haven't probably had the time to really um, delve into it. But um, because I'm not technically um, – like I'm not religious, um, but I still really do um, – uh, am interested in kind of virtues and, and philosophy and, and how you live your life. So uh, now that the campaign um, is has finished, I've got a little bit of time to read again, which is good. So, um, yeah, just getting – Kind of back into you were before that bed reader. Interesting. Yeah, I am, but I can, I you know, fall asleep a lot quicker now. I do have two kids, so <laughs> um, uh, I I get. <laughs> I used to be able to read for hours, but you know, you'll probably get about half an hour out of out of it now. Um So yeah, there's another, uh, stoic philosopher, um, Epictetus. So that that's the next on my yep. list. Uh, his is called Discourses. Um, his his uh, writings. So that's uh, next on the reading list.
0: Oh and you, so you're like a paper book kind of person. Are you yeah. Kindle or you? I've Audible? tried
1: the Kindle. I'd love to know, um, like your listeners, like what that your experience has been. I went with the Kindle. Really, just loved it, smashed it, uh, and then it kind of went flat one day, and I haven't recharged it, and I've <laughs> gone <laughs> and I and I've you gone back to paper flight.
2: books. You died on me. You Yeah, can't. <laughs> it's like I thought you'd live
1: forever. No, um, and I've gone back to. Paper books again. I don't know. Just like it's a
2: moment of rage, like my paper book didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I prefer hard copy as well yeah. just to get off the devices. Yes. That's a big thing. I can't continuously be on a device like 10, 12 hours a yeah. day. That's right. It's a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I go
0: audible now oh, where okay. I can because I just drive heaps. So it's like being able to just listen yep. is and like be – you know, minorly concentrating on something like driving. Like it's something that's pretty second nature by now. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just find that it's a really good time to like actually be able to ponder and think on things. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, consume yeah, content.
1: Yeah, I can't uh, do audio books. Um, I had laser on, uh, on my eyes a few years ago and obviously couldn't read. So, yeah, tried the audio books. But um, I just really struggle with it. I just find my mind wandering to something else so i need to have the actual task of reading you might need a good
0: person to read it like for example matthew mcconaughey's green light all right
1: all
3: right all right he read the whole thing
0: (laughs) it was so i felt like at the end of reading that or listening to that book i was just like embodying oh his character goodness. as a human. <laughs> it was great.
1: See, yeah, see, I would end up probably just um, taking on his accent in everyday life. Um, you just start people doing People like, speech. why is Lucy suddenly talking like Matthew McConaughey?
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> the p- reporters give you a question like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> start talking about bourbon, drinking bourbon. <laughs> hey, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Have
0: you been to, um, what's it called, uh, the one on Mexican Pancake Kitchen? Hans and Co.
1: Yes, Hans and Co. Oh, it's yeah, so good. Marcus's place. It's um amazing. Yeah, Love it. he's got a, a great um setup there. I went. They did uh, World Gin Day down um the laneway uh, recently a few months ago. Oh, now, oh yeah, 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 and well, that last year. Yeah, it mm. was fantastic, and they actually set up UV lights um because uh, a lot of the gins now are like UV gin, what um yeah that glow under light.
0: Um, That's pretty cool
1: Yeah uh, And uh, so yeah They set it all up And um, yeah We've got some amazing Kind of gin distilleries Around uh, And great little bars And small bars And yeah It's all
0: happening in Adelaide Damn straight we do Yeah So let's go back Back to a time Before you were The woman you are today How did you become To be the woman you are today mm,
1: Good question So Narra I was born in Narra Court uh, 1985. Um, uh, parents were so the hoods. Uh, conservative farmers. So we have a farm called Mulberry Farm at Bulagoon, and it's named after a, a beautiful old mulberry tree that's still there to this day. Uh, my father uh, is called Robin Hood. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure what uh, my beautiful and given to the poor. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's <laughs> good. Uh, and uh, and so um. Uh, yeah, just had a very um kind of, I guess you'd say, free-range childhood growing up on Mulberry Farm. Uh Yeah. So you did you
0: guys do mulberries or cattle and sheep? Or?
1: We were, um. so it was literally just the one mulberry tree. So we did cattle, uh, merino, uh, stud for a while and wool uh, and crop as well. Yeah. Okay. yeah What's crop? So, uh, so it was like wheat, yeah, canola, okay. lucerne. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty fun childhood. My parents um, uh, divorced when I was uh, quite young, so kind of weekends were on the farm and um, weekdays were, were in the country town, so Narracourt. Uh, Bullagoons about halfway between uh, Narracourt and Panola. And uh, there's a beautiful Mary Seymour conservation kind of park there that we just called The Scrub. And so we would spend just weekends. Um, we kind of named parts of the the scrub, um, so almost like a playground. Like we had um, Penelope Island um, and Bracken Forest and the Clay Pit and <laughs> it was just like, your own little nature playground. It was just amazing.
0: Did and you build any pretty cool cubby houses?
1: Yes, like the old, like the stick houses and, um, yeah, you'd just have to dodge snakes and um, <laughs> it was just, yeah, a bit of, oh, a, a, bear bit of a wild... <laughs> w- yes, I know, it was a bit of a Bear grills. Um, I uh, had my own kind of slug gun <laughs> and yep. um, we'd, I'd go out. I started driving the at about seven uh, and one of my jobs with my brothers was just to clean the sheet troughs and... Yep. Um, Just spend a lot of time just, yeah, just free range. It was great. Um, My brothers would play tricks on me. uh, Some days if they'd had enough of me hanging around, I had two older brothers at this point, uh, they'd say that aliens had invaded the farm and that I needed to go and hide. So So I'd spend all day in, um, my father collects um, kind of scrap metal, um, classic cars and all that kind of thing. So I'd spend all day just in a, a beat up, Semi or or Ute, just hiding from the aliens that had apparently invaded the farm. So, uh, yeah, <laughs>
0: I feel that. I remember. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I think it was in Year Three. My best friend and I, and we were just like getting into all the alien books. Yeah. And at lunch and recess, we would do our part against the aliens and, and just fight them on the spot. <laughs> We'd just be fighting aliens. <laughs> and That's I remember so at um oh, my dad's house back in the day, he used to have, like, these parties to do with the clips. And then I remember I had – there was this little, like, short sword. It was like a little Roman sword. And I'd be standing in a mirror just fighting
1: aliens. <laughs> I just love the imagination as a kid, though. Like, it, it, it did. It all seemed very kind of exciting and magical. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it was just – that was just kind of like life on the farm. And you kind of had to start working as soon as you could walk. Um, So you helped with – landmarking and shearing and drenching Um, and then in town mum worked in aged care uh, so I spent a lot of time after school just at the local aged care home and so I guess that's where I kind of got a love of listening to people's stories uh, because residents the residents there they just loved young kids like talking to young kids but really just wanted someone to kind of listen to them they had the most incredible stories about their life and uh, so I guess that's kind of where I maybe formed the love of you know having an interest in journalism which is what I ended up um, going on to study but uh, and then life kind of had a different chapter mum remarried to my um, stepdad Patrick had my little brother Liam and yeah so we were all just a very just ordinary kind of you know modern family of of spending time with mum and Patrick and then being on the farm on weekends with Robin, uh, and yeah, I was I was talking I was doing a parliamentary tour today and I was reflecting on how life changed a little bit. I was around twelve years old. I was sitting on the couch watching Friends. Uh, Friends used to be on.
2: <laughs> Irish's favourite show. Huh? Oh,
0: yeah. did I binged it oh, a couple of months ago?
1: Yeah, because you're all so young. Like I, I lived the original. Like yeah, when it was cool like cat. free free to air on eight o'clock on a Monday <laughs> night on SES 8, which was the only kind of channel we had in Maricourt. Uh, And we were sitting there watching Friends and there was a knock on the door and it was the local doctor. And we all kind of went, that's a bit odd. Like, why would the doctor be coming to our house? Like, why wouldn't you just call on the phone? And it's because what he had to tell us wasn't something you could say over the phone. Uh, and that mm. was that... Um, Patrick had uh, a really rare form of cancer. Like leukaemia? It was called um, mantle cell lymphoma. So it was a really rare form of of cancer. It usually only affected older, uh, like senior people. And so there wasn't a lot of research into it. He was at that point 41. Yeah. I was 12. My little brother was only um, two. Uh, My older brothers had kind of started... Um, moving out of home and pursuing careers uh, and so that then became my very first experience of Adelaide. Mm. So my mum, little brother and I moved up uh, to Adelaide with Patrick um, and we moved into Hutt Street. The social worker at the Royal Adelaide Hospital organised us a apartment in Hutt Street. Um, there's a little bottle green door there where and i never forget it and um, moved in there and uh, my mum and I would push my little brother in the stroller to the old Royal Adelaide Hospital every day, spend the day with Patrick while he had treatment and then go back to the apartment in the, in the evening. And so that was my very first experience of the city. Uh, and so being from a country town, I always just thought that you only found communities in a country town, but it was really lovely just moving into that main street and feeling um, welcomed to that uh, community um, in what was a really challenging time, and um, how old were you at this point? About twelve. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that happened on and off. Um, we'd move up, and or I'd stay with friends. Um, sometimes Patrick would come up for treatment on his own um, uh, for two and a half years until until we lost him. Mm. Uh, and so I was fifteen. Sorry um, for your loss. Yeah, thank you. Um, and he was just awesome, like the best human being ever. He worked in the men's clothing store in the main street and everyone just loved Patrick. Um and uh, my little brother Liam, uh, I still call him Bub. I still think of him as my baby, but he's so similar to his dad. Um but yeah, so suddenly I kind of felt like we went into another chapter where um you know, mum was a single mum. Uh my little brother was only 5, so you know, I kind of stepped up. Uh you know, had part-time jobs to help mum. And um, it was around that time, that summer, uh, so we kind of went from an everyday working class, you know, kind of family, you know, paying your bills, getting on with life, um, to suddenly having to, you know, consider navigating like the welfare system. And there's that one moment where we were standing by the letterbox. I loved our letterbox because it was, um, Patrick had made it, it was like a little replica of our house that we lived in. And mum would go out to the letterbox every day, just looking, you know, ruffling through the letters. And then one day I got this letter and we opened it and mum was so relieved and I didn't kind of know why and it was because it was called it was the school card and I was like well, what what's the school card um, and it meant that um, the school card is um, uh, for those listeners who don't know is just a, a form of support for low-income families to help them pay for uh, this the fees and services charge at uh, a public school so basically school books and yeah. and things and pencils and pens etc. And so, um, from a very young age, I became very much aware of that kind of support for families. And I went to the school library uh, to pick up my school books that year and realised there was one line for the school card kids and one line for everyone else. So, that was quite confronting, uh, particularly when you're in a country town um, and everyone knows everyone. So there was that kind of sense of, oh, I felt like there was this flashing kind of sign going, you know, like, poor kid over here. Uh, But at the same time, um, it made me uh, really understand, like, opportunity and the fact that um, I was getting that opportunity to have a a great public education regardless of um, how many parents I had or where I lived, my postcode or, or their income. And so, I guess from a young age, I did become very much aware about um, having a safety nets um, and making sure that we give people um, all all kids an opportunity at having a really good education. So, I I was always a studious kid, um, but you know really threw myself into school and uh, and got my Year Twelve results, and and um, which meant that I was going to be the first in my family to go to uni, which is. Um, yeah, it was really exciting. But it meant leaving Narracourt. court <laughs> well Yeah. So, I mean, Tatum, you know, who we, your listeners would know, so, um, from in a very similar situation uh, with that. So it's just um, I, but it, bittersweet because it meant leaving the country town that I loved um, and my mum and my little brother and moving to the to the big smoke yep. so my housemates and i we cried all the way from like narrow court to canalpin <laughs> so good two hours <laughs> and i told this funny story um because we, we are we're such country kids like moving up to the to adelaide and we moved into a, a little share house and
0: right, just quickly before you go into the share yeah. house what hairstyle did you have while you were going there
1: oh my goodness okay so <laughs> i had a i had a mullet <laughs> in year seven before um you know in between
2: like in between yeah, mullets being in between cool. mullets coming back into fashion <laughs> now, Mullet is now really cool it was uh, by the way. Just, <laughs> oh yeah i we wish, don't think so. We i wish it,
1: it was <laughs> then it was it was horrific um no but at this point i had really long hair um like kind of down to my waist uh. um really really long hair and so um, so we move into this share house and one night we look outside. We're like, what is that fantastic couch doing on the side of the road? <laughs> we're like, what's going on here? And we're like, let's wait up till like midnight and, and just see if anyone notices if we take the couch. And so we dressed up, we, we waited till midnight. We, we took this amazing couch because we're like, What's it doing there on the side of the road? And it's only years later that I learnt the concept of hard rubbish and that yes. it was absolutely okay to take the couch. So,
0: so for years you were like, I I'm felt a terrible. thief. I felt terrible.
1: Like we dark clothing, like we're like, why would they just leave their couch outside <laughs> on the street? Why would you do that? We, we
2: did that for years. Dad were always like, oh, we'll go <laughs> around the neighbourhood see if you can find some good antiques. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Right. Dulwich was always so good for it.
1: Wow. I could have had a really good night's sleep that night, but instead, no, we waited up till midnight. Um, so, yeah, that concept of hard rubbish, like we were such country country kids. And um, uh, so, yeah, went to uni, um, studied. I was studying journalism and international studies um, and attempting to learn French that was terrible terrible French
0: yeah I feel you I got kicked out of <laughs> class every French lesson
1: well it was just a big <laughs> step up like the first year was real beginner and the second year she's like sink on sink on set some and I was like what like I couldn't even <laughs> find the page that we were on let alone anything else so no I thought it wasn't for me um and but I am the type of person who kind of wants things done yesterday and so two years into uni I was like okay I want to be a journalist now um and I noticed that the advertiser were advertising for cadet chips, so I decided to throw my hat in the ring, not not expecting anything, thinking, no, it'd be good to get through that that process. Um I always joked I had a um a face for radio and a voice for print, so I thought Prince <laughs> the way I'm gonna go. And uh so I applied for the cadet chip and was just, you know, it was just great that I was able to um go through the various stages of the cadet chip, they had a test, you had to write a story couple of interviews and I gained one of these cadetships so I was 20 years old mm. and started um and took leave from uni to to start a a, a career as a, a print journalist so Gung-ho, look at it you. was yeah it was really good fun um f- funnily enough I I got the job of fashion editor which is so strange considering I was this like country kid that
2: with a mullet only recently yeah, had had yeah, a
1: right. mullet um, and pretty much, you know, thought socks and sandals was the, the height of fashion. It is now. <laughs> that's, it I is know. Now. I, I feel like I was 20 years ahead of my time. Um, <laughs> and so I'd never forget, I went to Australian Fashion Week, and um, uh, most of my clothing was from Target. And uh, that's Target. Uh, Target, yeah. as I was saying. And um, uh, there's two main streets in. It's Smith Street and Omrod Street. I used to work in one of the clothing stores in Omrod Street. And I had this bag from a shop in Omrod Street. And this woman was like, oh, my goodness, your bag is fabulous. Where's it from? I said, Omrod Street. And she's like, London, gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, <"Okay." laughs> <laughs> take that um, one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was just such a fish out of water. Um, but it was a great experience. Went to Malaysian Fashion Week, but really
0: my passion. Hey, what? You went yeah, to Malaysian Fashion Week? Yeah. Before, um, like, working for the Avatar?
1: Yeah. And, That's so cool. And, I mean, goodness, I, again, like 20 years old, completely out of my depth, hadn't um, – I'd travelled to New Zealand before, but hadn't travelled to an Asian country. And I, I remember arriving in Kuala Lumpur – Getting off the plane and this man going, oh, are you here for Fashion Week? I said, yeah, I'm Lucy. I'm here for Fashion Week. Oh, yes, of course. And they bundled me into a black Mercedes. I could have ended up anywhere. Um, and they charged me my uh, fee <laughs> for the taxi. And I, I know
0: what that's like. They go, oh, you're here? You're here for yeah. this? And it's like the major event there. You're like,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, ended up with most of my money gone the next day. So. Sounds about right.
0: They probably charge yeah. like 10 tons the the amount of The story of a young
2: blonde oh, over in, in Malaysia. <laughs>
0: <right>. <laughs> it was just,
1: oh, my goodness. like Yeah, so there was some real learning experiences there, but it was great fun. Like, I wouldn't change it for the world. And uh, But really my passion kind of was in education. So when this opportunity came up to become the education reporter, I... I grabbed it mm. um, because for me it just went back to that, you know, that education is the great equaliser. Like it was such a um, – it was the biggest opportunity for me. Like I would not be sitting here today without my public education.
0: Fair. So what are the things that you – because, I mean, if you're really into education, right, you're not surely just thinking like it was all great. Like you surely had some criticisms of like, oh, this is how it could be better.
1: Um, I think – the biggest – sometimes the biggest determinant of success for a student uh, in the classroom is, is your teachers. And so um, – and, and I, th- I do think that, like, you can have, you know, the fanciest um, grounds and, and classrooms and things, but if, if you don't – if you've got a teacher that believes in you, there's something pretty incredible about that. And so uh, my little brother, uh, Bub, who I call him, um, uh, is a teacher – and he's just amazing, and I just think of the impact that he can have on kids just from being an incredible teacher is is just uh, amazing. And so, uh, I was a country public school, but the teachers there were just um, incredible. Yeah, yeah. they just
0: really cared about. They everybody. really
1: cared. Yep, they you know they really cared about about you and 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 success. You How know, making sure you success. Um, I think in the end, our Year 12 cohort was about 50 kids. So classes weren't big. For the whole class? For the whole Year 12. Okay. The whole Year 12.
0: Ah, so you probably had like, what, 12-person classes? Yeah,
1: maybe less. That's so good. Yeah. um, (laughs) It's
2: like a university. Yeah, right. I I went to private university to get that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and I mean, a lot of the subjects sometimes weren't offered, so you had what was called open access subjects. Um, My brother did a lot of those in Year 12. Um, But really, it was just brilliant teachers and sure i might not have had opportunities you know like exchanges or, or trips overseas or um anything like that but i had uh, great teachers and i think that was that's the biggest difference
2: yeah how so, do we make our teachers better yeah
1: so um uh, i've obviously became a public policy director for for Peter Malinowskis during opposition. So this was uh, working on the education policy with uh, Dr. Susan Close, our Deputy Premier, uh, was one of the first things we started working on in opposition. Uh, And so looking at teacher quality was was really important. So we looked at um, policies around um, minimum ATAR scores for teaching because we didn't want um, teaching to be a backup option for someone, say, Mm, you missed out on... Physiotherapy, or you missed out on occupational therapy. Oh, I'll just go to teaching. Which is like, the
2: case often.
1: Yeah. yeah, like we want people to be t- to study teaching because they want to be teachers, um, and um, and that's not to say that just a hiatus equals great teacher, um, but but we do feel that, that that there was a bit of work there, and then just um, diversity as well f- with teachers. You know, women in STEM. More men teaching, um, Aboriginal teachers, um, having that diversity uh, as well is really important and then giving principals, um, you know, the the power to make sure they're they're choosing the very best teachers to fit their school communities. So Um, it's
0: easier to let go of teachers?
1: Well, it's um, about making sure that, yeah, that they've got that, um, I guess, room to make the best hiring decisions for them. Yeah, yeah,
0: okay, cool. Yeah. That's good because I've always heard that that's an issue with like mm. anything public sector related is like if someone sucks, it's like almost near impossible to get rid of them.
1: Yeah, and it's and that's hard because, um, you know, you don't I, I think we've got incredible public servants at the same time. So I don't think it should be binary, you know, kind of black and white. Um, like there's there's some there's a middle ground there. It's like private sector as well. You know, you want the very best people, you want a great culture. Um, you want people to love coming to work as well so um, you want teachers that you know really love being in the classroom and love their their students and and want them to do an, inc- an incredible job so um, and I just love seeing my brother excel in his career because I just think um, yeah he he's chosen teaching because he wants to be a teacher and he wants to be in the classroom and he wants to be making a difference so Um, yeah, hats off to all the teachers out there because, my goodness, like, um, I'm a parent of two kids and I I can't imagine working with kids all day and then going home to kids as well. Like, it's that's incredible. The patience and care and empathy and concentration levels that a teacher must have must be insane. Yeah, I take my hat off to them.
0: 100%. What's another way that you guys are, like, trying to facilitate a higher level of teaching?
1: Well... (laughs) The other actually comes at the other end, um, and that is around early education, so your first thousand days of life. And so, what we do find, you know, when we're listening to teachers, is the challenges um, in the classroom of kids who, um, you know, there may not have been any early intervention with um, uh, learning difficulties, etc., or behavioural um, challenges. So, uh, the earlier that we can provide that support, the better. So we're kind of looking at two areas, and that's we're doing a Royal Commission into uh, Early Childhood Education to look at providing universal um, preschool for three-year-olds. So currently you get a kindy from four. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, my little boy Ned, he's about to start kindy next year. But thinking about starting that earlier at three, um, a lot of the other OECD countries do it. We don't. And um, having that early intervention... Um, uh, would be just crucial but it's also a, a, a economic policy as well because it, it allows parents to go back to work earlier as well who yeah. might not be able to afford uh child costs um then there's that other level around supporting teachers when it comes to mental health of kids as well uh so I'm not quite sure of the statistic it might be that a mental health um issue can can emerge from like kind of 14 years old and um you know, it shouldn't be up to teachers having to shoulder um, the, that um, responsibility of, of assisting those kids. So, we've actually spent a huge amount of money in um, in mental health for kids around creating a central pool of, like, social workers, psychologists, et cetera, that schools can then call on to support them in that space um, because we want teachers to be teaching um, – you know, not having to take on all of these other extra responsibilities.
0: Yeah, fair. Do, have you found that kids these days are a bit more, like, open to going to a psychologist and so, or a counsellor at school? Because I know that when I was at school, like, it was pretty oh, yeah. few and far between that would actually ever go yeah, take those no, resources. They were,
2: if you saw someone go to the... Yeah, design, you'd be like, something's wrong with you. Well, those <laughs> you'd bully them. Really? Was, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: We had an amazing, I guess, the, was it a chaplain? Trev at our school, he was Trev. incredible. Yep, Trev. Yep. <laughs> he was amazing, yeah. Um, but you're right, I it wasn't something that I ever accessed. Um, when I went through a couple of challenges uh, at school, no, I didn't. Um, I can't say what young people are like these days because my kids are six and three. I don't usually... Um, spend a lot of time with kids around that 14 years old but i think i'd like to think that we are having a much bigger conversation around mental
0: health and making sure that it's definitely grown in terms of talking about it so you'd assume that
2: that would flow on but
0: you don't know because kids are kids are weird you know the biggest damage (laughs) was
2: the biggest damage was when some state governments decided to shut schools down um i don't think we ever got to that point here but it, you know, in terms of long periods of time, but yeah. that's where there's be, there's been <laughs> unworkable damage. Like you can't get it back. The kind of a kid going out of school for six months, and then especially if they're in a turbulent family situation. Yeah, that's know, right. And school's often the safest. place. Yeah, it's, it's the sanctuary. Yes. And I'm sure Tatum could speak to that as well. You yeah. know, been someone who's, who she loves school. Yeah, you know, she rather bit school at home. She said many times. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think I don't think you realize um what impact that that would have on a young person like it's yeah often i think you get that stage in high school maybe where yeah you start probably not drifting away from your parents but your friends become your universe and that's who you talk to and that's who you share with and taking that kind of away would make a huge um would have had a huge impact mm-hmm. like i think um you know in my early 20s so um i went off and moved to london worked in a pub like I don't realise if someone had maybe taken – and that that was such an incredible experience that kind of formed how I then lived out the rest of my 20s. Um, uh, So, if I hadn't had that experience, like, yeah, so that, that opportunity got taken away from a lot of people, either finishing school and wanting to look for a gap year or kids um, finishing uni and maybe just wanting to go off on an adventure before, you know, really delving into their career. So feel so
0: that's important. The yeah. adventure, like at the end of the yeah. day, like what, what is life about? Yeah. You know, is it about working or is it about like enjoying this little one in like a trillion chance of actually being in existence?
1: Yeah. It was, it yeah. was great. Like it was hard, but it was so much fun. Like we were getting paid like five pounds an hour, just working behind a bar. It was so humbling. Like no one cared if you'd go to uni or what public, you know, you know, Adelaide, everyone asks where you go to school. No one cares in London where you went to school. Um, they just come in, they're like, can I have a Foster's Top Love or, a, you know, like a, <laughs> a, a black sheep. Bit, a bit is, of warm beard goes yeah. down a tree,
0: a bit of room temperature. And yeah. it was so
1: yeah. humbling because we were there 2008 during the global financial crisis in London, which Australia, I don't know, really felt as much of the effects. But over there it was huge, like people were losing their jobs. And I was often the first person that people would um, meet after losing their job because the local pub was really an extension of your living room. So people would lose their job. They'd be made redundant. They'd come in to the pub and I was the first person they spoke to. And so um, that was really humbling um, to to listen to these people going through the toughest times of their life. And again, just really highlighted me the importance of um, just listening to someone's story.
0: So fair. What was one of the most tragic stories that you came across?
1: Yeah, to be honest, it was the hardest thing about the stories was when you realised perhaps that that person didn't have anyone else to talk to. Like loneliness.
0: Yeah, so like people th- that just <laughs> – no kids, no family, no friends. Yep. They lost their job. They just had nothing.
1: Yeah. They had the pub and the Australian girl behind the pub and uh, – behind the bar. And um, I think that's why the UK actually ended up with being one of the first countries to actually create a ministry of loneliness um Mm. i'm i'm just very interested in that space like i'm a meals on wheels volunteer because yeah just having someone the power of having someone know your name have a chat um is yeah incredibly important and so for me it wasn't necessarily sometimes the the specifics of the story it was just knowing that perhaps you you might be the only person that that person had that was able to speak to that day
3: yeah
0: I feel like it's become more prevalent in society that people are like absolutely alone. Cause like back in the day family, like, we, it, like the idea of how a family should stay together has crumbled a lot. Like a lot yeah. of the time we're one generational families where our friends are our closest family and people go, oh, I don't really like them. I'm going to go off and make my own family. That's yep. like a very common thing in this modern time. But from what I've read, like that just wasn't a thing back in the day it was like families had f- family friends and that's just how you existed. And you had yeah. a village. Yeah, you just lived in these little villages. Mm. Or even if you were in a city, it was like, oh, you're only operating with the families that, like, your friends had become families with over generations. So you all cared about each other either way because that was just, like, the instilled nature of your yeah. social dynamic.
2: Yeah, and you'd marry often through those families as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. definitely. Uh, yeah, um,
0: yeah. It would always happen, right? And then on, when you go on the high echelons, it was like, whether it be organized or whether it be little power plays and all that, for yeah. better or worse, Targaryens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Shoutouts Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
1: yeah. halfway through the the House of Dragons. It's good. There yeah. 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 Haven't, yeah. I haven't
2: got yet. into it yet. Yeah. He's not there.
0: No. no not not yet. there yet. I really liked uh, The Last Kingdom. Oh that is yes. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. I loved it. Have you seen it? I right, did. You got to watch it. I'm <laughs> telling you. Um. Yeah. So, do you you agree with that? It's like a pretty like yeah. sound analysis of how l- the differences between modern mm. and more classical life? Yeah,
1: definitely. Because back then, if you wanted to talk to someone, you had to pick up the phone, dial a number, and actually have a conversation. Mm. Now you send a text. Um. Or an yeah. Instagram. Yeah. I mean, that's
0: still all modern time, message. right? But yeah, definitely, it was even.
1: Yeah, and so, in a way, you can be surrounded by people, but but still be very lonely. Um, or have, you know, 20,000 followers on Instagram but um, not maybe feel like you have a, a genuine connection. So, um, yeah, I it, it's one of the reasons I was t- saying uh, before we started, you know, I have parliament tours. Um, I try and do them like once a month and um, I'll just, you know, pick people who might have had a significant birthday, might have moved into their uh, community, uh, turned 18 and rolled to vote for the first time. Um, I do it not because... Um, you know, like oh, let's show you where I work. Like I do it because I actually think if there's just if there was one connection that was made that day from someone who lives in the same community, or they might see each other next week down the street or at Coles or at the local supermarket, and they say good day or have a chat, or you know see each other at the coffee shop, then I feel like you know my job's done. Like um in a way because. A, bit, a more connected community is a stronger community. It's a healthier community. So if I can in any way help connect people just so, like I said, there's there's a real power in people
0: knowing your name. Lucy, I feel, I feel like your after-politics job is like events. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just yeah. bringing people together. You <laughs> and, and Tatum can <laughs> yeah. form a company yeah, together.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's
1: a great idea. <laughs> I feel I've got a job if <laughs> <for> this, this <laughs> politics thing doesn't work out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh classic yeah
1: but like no like if we can just yeah, yeah we can just create point. those connections um create that sense of a country town in the middle of a capital city then i'll be very very happy
2: yeah, yeah. that's why we do this that's yeah. exactly why we do this making yeah. friends and then other people
0: can see people make friends yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um Virtue signaling in regards to what you were saying before about this heaps of like people that may even have heaps of followers and stuff like that, but they feel like they have no friends and that extends to people that don't have followers and stuff like that. I feel like a lot of what kind of like may get in the way of that and, you know, please share your thoughts on mm-hmm. this, is that a lot of people are showing, like showing whether it be what they think the norm should look like and not actually sharing who they feel or who they see are. them be yeah. see themselves be it's like oh no like this is just the way yeah. th- we should be
1: yeah um absolutely yeah i um there was a i think it was a psychologist i was following on instagram the other day and they were like rather than saying in your instagram bio you know i'm an empath or i'm a kind person just be empathetic and be kind in real life in your actions rather than just having it saying that you are actually do it um but as a separate, as a side, um, yeah, your story of self. Um, I'm when I talk to young people, um, when I go to schools and things like that, I actually talk about. I really want them to think about their story, the things that have happened to them, their experiences, um, and talk about how that uh, has influenced who they are and what they care about. Like it's all very easy for us to go. Um, I care about health. I care about education, and I care about community. Boring. Like, people are going to switch off. Yeah. But if I say I care about health um, because um, when we got told that there was nothing left we could do for Patrick and that we had to go home and say goodbye, there were four other patients in that room and all that separated us from that moment and our grief was a thin hospital curtain. That's why I care about building the brand-new Royal Adelaide Hospital where every patient had their own room. That's why I care about health. Yeah. Um, the reason I care about education, because I've stood in a line where there was one line for the school car kids and one line for everyone else and I knew that that was my opportunity to have a crack at a great education and become the first of my family to go to uni. That's why I care about education. Why do I care about community? Because I grew up in a country town where it's in my DNA and I moved to a main street in the middle of a capital city and still felt like I was part of a country town. That's why I care about community. So um, when you're... Don't just say, yeah, I care about X, Y, and Z. Like actually delve into your life, delve into your past experiences and how they've shaped you because that will say so much more about what you care about and what you're fighting for.
0: Yeah, I love that vivid sharing. I've, I've learned through like personal development. they they, share, they shared with me how to share like that, which is like, you know, bring people to the present moment like you'd see in a book. When you read a book about something happening, you're like, you know, and there was a cat, and it was running through the little garden there, and there was all trees, and it was brushing around it, and it was just chasing this little mouse that's running, and its tail's wiggling, and then it leaped and it got it in this ferocious manner and just bit it. You're there, you're hearing you're there. that, you're seeing that. I, like, I just I'm came up excited, with that. Very excited. I just I came. That was, I mean? like
1: yeah. Or you could have said the cat chased a mouse. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Boring. Exactly. Yeah, like it's like yeah, describing how you felt in that moment. Yeah, it's just lively. Or yeah, like it's just storytelling. Um, but it's, you know, I always say to someone when they're like, oh, I've got an interview or like, I'm like, you're the expert on you. No one knows you better than you. So just relax. Like you've got all that experience, all those stories. Um, just no one knows you better than you. So just tell those stories. Tell those experiences. How did you feel? What was the, um, you know, what was the weather that day? What was the colour of the flowers? Like, yeah. Yes.
2: Will, you got something to say? Well, following <laughs> one from Hamish's point about, uh, I suppose, identity. This is something I always wonder because I would say, you know, clearly I'm on the right side of politics and sometimes I get annoyed at right-wing activism. It goes too far, whatever. Is that the same with you being in the Labor Party, being in the left side of politics, you know, obviously potentially marginally on the left side of politics. Uh, does left-wing stuff sometimes irritate you and frustrate you? Does left-wing, left-wing activism frustrate you at all?
1: Not really, and I, I would probably say that it's because of my background. Um, so, like I was saying before, from a conservative um, liberal farming family, um, you know, I'm pretty sure Nana, my Nana, shout out to Nana, she turned 100 a couple of weeks ago, uh, but I think she was a like, card-carrying liberal. Um, so, I've grown up in an environment where people had very much different political views, and so I saw that as a strength because um, I'm of the view that you don't, Grow, or you can't have a decent argument if you're just stuck in an echo chamber. So I actually um, find people from from both sides, far right, far left, really interesting because it's important to actually listen to those arguments. Um, you know, think about them, maybe sit on them, um, and then form your own view of where you're, where you sit in in that spectrum. So. Um, no, it doesn't necessarily bother me. I'm, I am all for people who um, passionately believe in something and are able to uh, intelligently articulate their view. Um, and my brother ran as a Liberal candidate uh, at the election. I ran as a Labor candidate. And we're best friends. like We're best mates. Right? And we have very different political views on a lot of things. But um, we can have an argument um, or a debate uh, sometimes agree to disagree. Sometimes it'll get a bit robust. Um, so I feel
0: like that in itself, that is a beautiful expression of like civil discourse. Yeah. Mm. But I feel like that's that's leaving, that's if not the, has left that, for so many people. That's
2: not on, mm. and that's definitely not the mainstream on the left, respectively of politics. Yeah. Is that you? For, even for us, like there's some shows that won't potentially have us on because we're of a certain politics. But we we find we'll have anyone on because that's what our kind of philosophy is. Yeah. But it sounds like that's your philosophy as well. But from our general goings about that's not the norm.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, it's, yeah, it's um a fine line because some, some people will find some views unacceptable, mm. certain views. Um, hey, what are your
0: thoughts on freedom of speech then?
1: Well, I'm a journalist, so, um, or former journalist, so, um, but if a... Um, a certain view is going to harm someone
0: or hurt them. What defines um, harm or hurt in your view? Not offend. No, no, no. I'm asking. I'm asking. <laughs> oh,
1: it's a it's a fine line, isn't it? Again, it's that spectrum of um, yeah. You might not find that a, a certain view offensive, but other people do. Um, but is offensive the line? Uh, no, because offensive can can hurt. Offensive, you know, you can offend someone, but that can really, really hurt. Um and um it it depends on the topic, I guess, but um yeah like i'm I'm for you know people expressing their views, but at the same time uh if it um moves into actually hurting people or damaging people, damaging their confidence or their ability to feel uh confident about who they are and how they've moved through life, then
0: but don't you think that somebody think it's could okay. like that we are not also self determining humans that can? like respectfully not take on board that that's not us and that's someone else projecting themselves and go, you know what, you're saying that and I let you say what you ever want to say but like, nah, man, this is me, I'm not that because I feel like unless we can go to those extremes of being able to communicate and potentially – risk offending each other you know we're sitting here we're
3: mm-hmm.
0: clearly like having discussions about you know we haven't got that touchy subjects yet but like touchy subjects that we could risk offending each other and mm. like if i'm not a prick then like yeah i'm gonna like make sure i try to not offend you as much as possible so i can still get my point out but then also be considerate um, and i think that's nice and that's courteous and that's that's more Manners, but do I think that in terms of the freedom of speech, that that I shouldn't be allowed to try and push that limit based on what I believe and what I feel to someone that may not believe or feel the same way? Mm. Because how am I supposed to learn the actual raw authentic of what you feel and believe that may also hurt my feelings?
1: Yeah, well, I think it comes down to discrimination. Then um, you can have different views, but as long as you're not discriminating, as long as you're not, you know, you're not being racist, you're not being sexist. Um, not being ageist, and um, as long as you're not discriminating someone, I think it's, it's okay to respectfully argue your view.
0: Yeah, see, I, for that and also in regards to discrimination, um, isn't, correct me if I'm wrong because you may know the laws better than I do, um, that discrimination is when you are preventing someone from actually having an opportunity based on discrimination. So, for example, like a job, for example, like travel, or even being able to say what they want to say mm. because of that, you know. Mm. Whereas, like, if we're having a discussion of ideas and we're battling each other and I do say something that you see as sexist or vice versa, yep. why should that not be allowed?
1: Well, it's just up to that person to call it out. Like, you said, you know, yeah, the but standard in terms you of past is What's allowed and what's not allowed, say. right? Yeah. Well, and that's up to society to work that out. Like, and I think that's why we have these conversations and we have these debates um because back in the day you could say some pretty derogatory things uh, uh about you know women or um uh you know age or etc um but that is where like you see you know society change mm. and you have that through these i guess debates and conversations about all right well where do we sit right now what is you know what do we accept is acceptable mm. um, and um I would I would like to think that we're constantly improving. I would like to think that. Um, we all want to we all want to leave this place better than when we found it.
0: I hope so. Mm. I do. Yeah. I definitely do. And I hope that's the majority of people. Mm. Majority of people I've met, definitely. Some mm. some no. Some, you know, a bit like the Joker. Wanna cause chaos for the sake of cause of chaos. Yeah. But um in regards to us moving in a positive trajectory, do you have a concern at all that we are moving towards something that is maybe, like, towards a less of a freedom for the, the every man of people?
1: Uh, no, no. Um, I, I guess I look at what, um, you know, my – I've got two little ones, three and six, and I love that, um, you know, they're growing up uh, just, you know, really accepting of um, – people's you know differences that make you unique and uh, i just think yeah watching their you know they're so innocent at that age um Definitely. and that you know they just learn to care for each other and and make friends with everyone and look out for each other um i think that can only be a good thing
0: oh 100 i mm. with everything you just said there i'm 100 percent the same like yeah. of course that's the beauty of humans right um, but I feel like there's things happening not just in Australia but around the world that are moving us towards something that is more like of a far left as opposed to something that's like a caring left. For example, the truckers' convoy in Canada when they froze bank accounts of people trying to do their protests, um, because they didn't like what was going on in their country, and with crowdfunding, the governments. St- cancelled their crowdfunding and blocked it mm. and then distributed those funds to a charity and then the people go, Look, that's our money. We just wanted to help these people actually get what they needed so they continue their protests. Like have you seen those kind of examples from your
1: I probably haven't t- focused too much on that because I'm kind of often focused on the local issues in, in Adelaide. Um Uh, But I guess, you know, but then you could argue, you know, for example, the capital rights um, trial is starting now. Like, and a lot of people at the time said, well, imagine um, if, you know, that was a group of black people that was storming the capital and and what the difference in uh, response would have been, Um, you know, so it can work both ways with the far right as well. Um, Yeah, for sure. And that's a great
0: example, right, because there are a bunch of individuals in that that just did unlawful stuff. Going to the Capitol building and going in and having a protest there, legal, right? Yeah. I mean, is it? Yeah. Uh, as far as I know, that's legal. Oh, peaceful but protest? Going, yeah, going
2: in and then, like, mm. trying to <laughs> kidnap thing, people thing, and stuff. I think, thing, I, think was was a, I think the whole thing was a coup, to be honest. I think they let it happen purposely. They're looking at the security uh, detail and stuff like that, I, they could have easily stopped it before they did Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a, such a just a, an atrocious thing that happened, mm. and it's lucky that that is not something that would even be in our conscious in Australia. I mean, there's been protests in. Parliament that being House. said,
0: the stuff yeah. that happened in Melbourne, you yeah. know, it was pretty wild. And yeah. during all the COVID lockdowns yeah. and stuff, like you know, police were shooting rubber bullets at humans and all that. Yeah, that like was that, that was, was
1: really sad because um a a constituent of mine, her daughter, was caught up in that. She just happened to be going. She must have gone to the shops at one point. And she found an elderly lady wow. carrying in a laneway, like absolutely terrified. Didn't know how they were going to get home. So, um, yeah, let's try and just peaceful protest, people. Yeah,
2: yeah, it'd be good if we could be peaceful. That mm-hmm. was um, something we talked about with Will last night because yeah. being in that kind of industry with unions and stuff, and he has to deal with the CNFU. Uh, you know, the, the, the more, mil, more more you know, more aggressive union compared to other ones. They, you know, that was what happened in melbourne but you know at the end of the context you've locked people up for six months of their life you know what yeah as he put it cabin fever (laughs) cabin fever was fierce that's never really (laughs) happened and that results in something that's never really happened in australia for a long period of time though those kind of rights because they won't protest their rights straight up Mm. oh not all of it no but i saw a bunch of live streams a lot of it wasn't or the ones where they were walking across motorways and stuff like that and and then they got to a, a certain location and they started storming police and the police pushed back. That's a riot. Mm. Yeah. yeah, Fair.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back to some local stuff. In terms of um, you working for education in your journalist career, what kind of things did you do there?
1: Uh, so really it was, um, I wrote general news stories around education, but I also had an education kind of lift out. So I was really just trying to, you know, tell the great stories that s- teachers and students and schools were were doing. So, yeah, I, I loved it. Um, just going into the classrooms. Like it's the same with journalism. I think in many ways is kind of similar to being an MP. Like you don't actually want to be stuck behind a desk. You want to be out there like meeting people, mm. interviewing them, hearing their stories. Um, same with being an MP. Like I um, hate it if I'm just stuck behind my desk in the office. Like I just want to be out there. Um, connecting with people and and talking to people so um, yeah that was excellent I really loved it but it got to the point where I wanted to like I was hearing what people were telling me particularly challenges around education um, you know teachers wanting um, particularly young teachers not just wanting contract wanting long-time work and things like that uh, permanency Um, and so I was like oh I want to take what people are telling me and do something with it not just tell the story and so I was like, well, how do you do that? You, you know, you look at politics. And so the natural progression, journalism into media advising. So I did that for a number of years for several ministers uh, and then moved up to the treasurer. And I loved it because I was like, well, no point coming up with a policy or a good idea if you don't know how it's funded. Uh, so I worked on about four or five budgets, state budgets, um, with Tom Coots and Tonitz, who was the treasurer at the time. And that was an incredible experience of just working out, uh, you know, where we take, um, uh, you know, where we best invest our money for the community. What did Um, you discover there? uh, So it's quite a long process, yeah. This idea that, you know, you can maybe ring up a minister and say, oh, I need X, Y and Z for this. Um, You know, there's a real thorough process that goes into developing a budget. uh, And so... um, uh, just the, the amount of work and effort that go, um, that, that, that takes. Um, what was it like? Can you amazing. run me through it a bit? Yeah, so um, the process with – and it might be different for, for different governments or for different ministers, but um, basically you have processes where your department talks to, you about, uh, to a minister about their priorities, um, things you'd like to achieve or things that absolutely have to be done. Uh, you then go through those and then go into a process with Treasury and the Treasurer and the Treasurer's Office – where well, you basically just go through line by line and it's almost like a process of elimination really around looking and then looking at overarching of what your government's priorities are as well and, and where, you want to, um, uh, where, where you want to focus. And so then my job when that full set of where money was going to go was um, finalised, um, I would read every single part of that and then have to communicate it to journalists. So my job was to take all of that information and um, effectively write media releases on all of those things. And, you know, we wanted to be really transparent. You make sure that you talk about things that might not necessarily be good news, things that are great news, um, and then you go into what's called a budget lockup. And uh, so you lock all the journalists in a room, and I've done lockups as journalists both in Canberra and state, um, and they basically get presented this information and they've got a few hours in which to... You know, consume it all, um, make sense of it. Um, interview the treasurer who's coming in. The premier often come in as well, uh, and um, you know, put together um, how they're going to explain it to the general public. And so, my job was just a stepping stone in that, in kind of assisting the journalists um, to make sense of. You know, because I've had weeks to consume it and can you know condense it, um, put it into layman's terms. They've got a few hours. Why is it short? Uh, well, I guess you can't lock them away for too long. You <laughs> get in trouble. Sure, you give them a day. <laughs> and now because of um, journalism like it's like hour by hour for updates for T V, but then Twitter's instant as well. Mm. Um so I was doing it around the time that yeah, that that, you know, tweets were like really powerful and so, you know, we would not originally take journalists' phones and things like that. So um,
2: nobody could get, like, the yeah. exclusive... The original lockdown. ...before others. Yeah, <laughs> like the original, that's
1: right. Um, I don't know what they do now because I haven't done the budgets for a couple of years, but maybe journalists are allowed their phone. It's just an honesty basis because obviously you're going to see if someone tweets something. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it was just a really fascinating yeah, experience. Um, and so then moved from Treasury into public policy writing. So uh, working, um, you know, looking at what an issue was... Um, and then how we write that and communicate that uh, as a policy. So I wrote uh, with my colleague at the time, Rowanna, we wrote the 2018 election document uh, and edited it and um, uh, lost the election and then I went on board as uh, Pete Malinowskis as Director of Policy uh, and I was also in charge of question time, which is good fun. Uh, so my job to assist in writing up the questions that we would pepper – the the government of the time with so Stephen yeah. Marshall
0: was it pretty dry doing that policy work?
1: No, I, I find it really really interesting. Is it long
0: hours or like no, I'm what's not, the sk- like how funny. do you go about? Well, that's the challenge so with opposition. You like one hour and then like all right, give me a ten minute break. Yeah, or like how do you, how do you go about even doing such? Well, because I had question time, so work?
1: Parliament's pretty much every second week. Mm. Um, so that second week I'd focus on kind of question time yeah, okay. and what the issues were of the week. Oh, so um, you were
0: doing the policy writing and yeah. the question time at the same time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay,
1: yeah okay. So every second week was probably more focused. And I was also part time at that point in the early on of opposition and because I had two, um, children. So I had Audrey and then I just had, um, during opposition, I had my, my second little baby Ned. Um, so I was juggling, um, motherhood and
0: work. I love that name, Audrey. Yeah, Audrey. She's nice named name.
1: after so she's Audrey Scarlett, uh, which is Audrey after Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, and Scarlett after Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind, because I just loved her personality. And she's, to be honest, she's more of a Scarlett than an Audrey. She's a real firecracker. She's, uh, she's six going on twenty six. Like I'll tell a funny story. <laughs> she, my my mum. My mum like keeps everything, and she had the, they had a locket, and it had um, a boyfriend from high school, you know, a, a picture still. And she opened it. She said, "Who's this, mum?" I said, "Oh, that's my ex boyfriend." Um, and she goes, "I've got an ex." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Excuse me?" Sassy. <laughs> oh. She's like, "Yeah, like." Guy from you know boy from Kindy. Watch out, (laughs) Ah, watch out. Boy from Kindy. (laughs) She's like we don't see each other much anymore. I mean, she is just so funny. Like she's amazing. Um, I just love love it. I love her confidence. She's yeah, my little firecracker. Um, so yeah, I was going through kind of motherhood and work and things like that. So um, I kind of had got that balance down, and um, uh, but really, um, when we were getting into the nitty gritty of policy, uh, I decided to um run for adelaide so that began a transition um towards eventually campaigning full-time yeah
2: for yeah so you were pretty i suppose i would like to say instrumental to labor policy in the last five six years then is there anything you personally came up with that you've been able to start implementing or think of implementing in the first term
1: Well, um, I would have to say I I give all the credit to Dr Susan Close. Um, She is the absolute um, brains um, and powerhouse behind a lot of our policy development. And it also came from the various um, uh, shadow ministers at the time. So I was really just that person to help um, pull it together and, and write it. So um, I'm certainly not going to to claim credit for our policy um, document, but one of the ones that I did um, was quite passionate about uh, that um, I um, was really I was really happy to to see come through was um, mid year intake for uh, reception and kindy as an example. So um, that was that was one area um, that I, I was certainly affected by it with my Audrey having to wait till the whole next year in order to start school. Um, and that can have a big impact on kids. Like again, it's like you know, the earlier that we can, and it's it's just giving parents that choice. Some kids might be too young to start. Others might might have waited too long. So it's little things like that. Um, what I remember, defines
0: that? Like how do you figure that out?
1: Oh, it's tough. Um, so yeah. basically, um, they had a first um, of May cut off. So if your child had to turn five. Oh, so they have to be
0: five. It's they not had to like, be five oh, turning five in a couple of weeks. Let's put them in.
1: Yeah, they had to be five by May one, and if they weren't, and so Audrey was May twenty one, so she missed uh, out on starting school that year by three weeks. Stitched. Um, and and so again, it was a parent knowing or not whether Audrey was born ready for school. Yeah. I think she came out of the <laughs> womb like <laughs> ready to to start school. So, um, but for every parent, it might be different. So it's just giving them that choice. Um. Around making decisions for their own kids, so um, it's little things like that that you go, yeah, like you know, for, for kids, for people who aren't engaged in politics, like mm-hmm. they didn't realize every element of their life is somehow being. Shaped or influenced by s- politics or a a a quote law myself. or regulation. A quote <laughs> Are you quoting yeah. Will? Oh like my goodness! Five I'm so ago? sorry. The politics Politurism. matters, man. Yeah, <laughs> politics matters. It's the like the
2: funny thing is, I said that a week before you came on the radio show. <laughs> oh, really? Uh-huh, that's yeah. amazing. There's a, there's a there's a clip of me saying that. Oh, that's
1: yeah. Hamish, like yeah. people don't like like it affects so much of your your you life it. from when you flick a switch or yeah, like well, let's stop at a traffic some, light. Let's
2: talk about some policies then, because obviously being in the seat of Adelaide there's a lot of things going on you know yep. you've got the um, the live music grant yeah. aquatic centre uh, the women's and children's r- um, mm-hmm. changing of the location uh, you've got Melbourne Street you've got city homelessness Heart yeah. Street Heart Street yeah Heart Street yeah. Let's talk about the um, the live music thing because that's yeah. something that we're passionate about.
1: Yeah, I know. it's um, uh, Yeah, we've got a real push around that for live um, music um, because, you know, I think we'd all agree like one of the industries that was hardest hit during COVID, like if you were an artist, mm. um, yeah, that just would have been crushing. so crushing. Yeah, yeah,
0: I know his people that they were like pretty well just at the cusp of making doing events there full-time after wow. years of, like, doing venue management and stuff like that. And they were just about to, like, at the cast, yeah, doing full-time for their own gigs. Mm-hmm. And then it all happened and they couldn't do anything. And they were just livid.
1: I know. It would be so devastating. And, like, what – Um, so, actually, during the election campaign, um, I held a fundraiser. Um, and rather than keep the proceeds just for the campaign, I actually donated half um, to the UniSA um, – uh, art school because my greatest fear, particularly from education, is that how many, like, kids – like, we could have the next, like, um, you know, Mozart or, or Da Vinci or something, like, not becoming that because they're terrified that there's no future for them in art or music or
0: um, – Well, rest assured, I've, our creative scene is pretty wild right now. Yeah. Like, I have met some young cats from Adelaide that during COVID – they have blossomed because they haven't been able to think about going anywhere <laughs> and they've just honed in on their crafts and, like, not necessarily for the nightlife-related things but for, like, whether it be fashion or art or music, like, they're just crushing it right That's now. That's amazing. We've got a really cool scene, like, growing right now. It's That's cool. so
1: good. And I try and, yeah, support live music um, wherever I can. I was at Lines Art Factory the other day for a concert. Um, last Friday night I, I was at Febby Theatre. We've got this incredible group. Uh, of '60s singers, um, called the '64. Uh, shout out to Ben Francis; he's a constituent of mine. Like incredible talent. Like, and they were just what was beautiful was just how grateful they were to be performing, like to a packed crowd. Like it was just so beautiful, and we were all just like, like, so, like you could just feel the love in the room for for these um for guys because I can't imagine how tough that would have been. And so Andrea Michaels, our Minister for Arts, um, has yeah, got a huge push around supporting live music, whether it's giving off those small kind of vouchers or grants for people. Um, the other day uh, we visited a local uh, uh, venue in my community, Cafe Komodo, run by Andrea and Bronwyn, like massive supporters of not just um, emerging artists or people wanting to give it a go, but, yeah, just those people who are just consistently plugging away, doing gigs every week. Um, you know, to pay the bills, like massive supporters. So we were able to give them a $5,000 grant to um, improve their venue and get better sound um equipment. So just That's to big. to improve that. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like much, but for all these, like if you think if you multiply that across all those little venues, like it makes such a big difference. Um, I'm a marriage celebrant as well. So um, yeah, I no was bit. affected by... Covid um and the events industry. <laughs> when did you, yeah. Events management. When did you be, yeah,
0: right. Yeah. You, you already set it up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When did you become a marriage celebrant along so this journey?
1: I was, like I said, I'm one of these people who wants something done yesterday. And like, I had, I was, it was Matt leave, and I had Audrey, and I was like, well, um I could walk you in a pram all day, like <laughs> but I, like, I, I need to have lots of things on the go, and so I was like, what. Do I, it's like a really positive, lovely thing to be a part of. Like what what do you like doing? And I'm like, Oh,
2: I love going to weddings. <laughs>
1: Like they're just
2: hamish on Saturday when he goes to his wedding.
1: <laughs> it's like wedding crashes yeah. I'm like, look, I could become a wedding crasher, or I
2: could become oh, a like marriage it. celebrant. We have to have to do that one day. Yeah, you can be sneaking yeah. at the back of the wedding, or you can be right up front. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I could be like I live in wedding crashes like I Lucy Hood you.
2: reporting from this wedding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so I just studied it because I was like, it again it had those same principles of journalism, kind of politics of just meeting people, hearing their story, telling their story. It just happened to be a love story. And so, I became a marriage celebrant. Um, it was around the time one of my best friends, Nick, who I'd met as a journalist at The Tysa, uh, was was con- uh, planning to get married, and he, he, that was the first wedding I did. He, uh, Nick's wedding to his wife Amanda in this amazing mansion called Labasa Mansion in Melbourne.
0: And whereabouts in Melbourne?
1: Uh, oh, I'm not very good with Melbourne geography. Like being a, a country kid.
0: You know, a suburb? No. Okay.
1: Uh, we went to the Stoke House in St Kilda, which maybe okay. i don't know if yeah, yeah Was well, that st
0: kilda that gives us that a was lovely that was sense. yeah it was
1: around there i think um mm. and i've done um you know same sex weddings did one at the wheat chief that was amazing i've done a surprise wedding that was an engagement party that turned into a wedding uh recently i just went um and did my little cousin's wedding which is just so
0: special so that's very cute but How again do you don't have time to do this surely the politics stuff is a full-time gig,
1: and and yeah, and that's right. That's why I've um, it's it's wound back now. So um, I've only done my, technically done my cousin's wedding this year, and I don't I don't get okay, paid fair. for it. So it's yeah. just I volunteer my time uh, because I absolutely love it, and it's a that's nice fair. light and shade to politics. Um, yeah, politics love, can be right? a bit, uh, you know, um, uh, rough and tumble at times. So to be part of something that's just all lovely and light is um. Yeah, it's good for the soul. <laughs> How are the
0: power games? Do you have many like little power games going on? Like that you don't have to say who, but like, you know, <laughs> yeah, have yeah, you not no, had no. interactions? This person just did this. Yeah, yeah that's like, all right. Do you have like little interactions. You're like, oh, no, these I'm little power of, games I like to
1: think I'm more, you get more bees with honey. So I'm, that's ter- certainly my um, uh, kind of outlook. Uh, no, we're really lucky. Um, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a backbencher, so I don't. Um, I've got this really unique opportunity. When you look at the seat of Adelaide over the last 30 years, previous members have either had additional responsibilities of having a ministry, um, or they've been in opposition, so don't have that that ability to um roll out commitments. So this is the first time in over 30 years that uh, I am a dedicated member just for Adelaide, no other additional responsibilities, and we're also in government. So that's a real opportunity. It's really important. Really important. Why is, can
0: you explain to me why that's so important?
1: Because um previously a member might have had additional responsibilities of a ministry as well, so they
0: might have um That ministry for education. For
1: ministry people. for education, you know, ministry for agriculture or yeah. um or ministry for child protection as the former uh member of Adelaide had. Um or you're in opposition, which means you don't have the power to implement Policy and yeah, you and can't commitments. do anything except for scrutiny. That's right. So for the first time in over thirty years, I am the member for Adelaide. No additional responsibility. Member for Adelaide. <laughs> yeah, you are. And you we're are. in government. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and we're in government, so it means that we can um roll out and deliver on our commitments.
2: It also means that if I mean, Labor Party is a bit different, but Liberal Party it means if you're not in the cabinet, it means you're not a slave to their decisions, and you can go against it. One of your uh, your former colleagues and friends. Uh, during the time when the Clipsal uh was they'll be considering the grandstand the Clipsal acquitted herself from cabinet Ms. Chandler Mac Smith because mm. she didn't support it. She was able and I think she was Lord Mayor at the same or was Lord Mayor previously the, previously. Previous to that. So that is an interesting thing for a local member that that they can put their heart and soul into a seat mm. as opposed to, you know, having to worry about broader issues going on. Mm. You know?
1: Mm. yeah and um we're a capital city seat so um you know you do have that um i guess challenge like you know because uh we have the cbd in our seat and we want to bring more people to the cbd with events um and bring our city alive and um but i understand at the same time that that comes with challenges for residents that live in the cbd so it's that real fine balance i've lived in the cbd uh i've what our first home in, in Sturt Street in the C B D, just near Adelaide Central Market. Loved it. Audrey grew up in the Adelaide Central Market. And um so yeah, finding that that balance of wanting to bring your capital city, your C B D alive, at the same time being respectful of residents mm. um who live there and wanting to grow your residential population, particularly following the changes of COVID and how our work lives work, um, is is a balance that you've got really got to work on.
0: What do you reckon the population of the Adelaide CBD is and should be?
1: Oh, gosh. I actually don't know the the exact numbers. I do know there's that um, kind of what's common is that um, there were more people living in the CBD like 100 years ago than there are now.
0: See, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Although you look at all videos of like how Rundle Mall used to operate and like – yeah, it had like escalators. It was, and but it was just mad busy.
1: Yeah, really busy. Like
0: now, my take on Rundle Mall, they've kind of stuffed it up a bit. My take is um, they've taken – well, they've put in a bunch of things that don't have any kind of unique value proposition that you couldn't find in any suburb. Mm. For example, while it may be a great contract for the people that have the buildings there and like, look, you know, I have a lot of empathy for commercial real estate people um, but – Big butt. Coles, Woolies, you can go anywhere <laughs> and get that. You know, you can go to any no, suburb and get that. that. Don't like them. But for, like, the main area, you need things that you can't go to any other place to. You need to be able to, like, go, like, oh, Rundle Mall. You, I mean, you just go to any other city. And it's like if they don't have the, like all the high-end fashion, like, that's normally what you'd have in your big city, right? Yeah. In the main shopping area. You'd have all those brands that you can't mm-hmm. get anywhere else. We need that. Obviously, we don't currently have the population of the pool to get that except for maybe Tiffany and some concessions at like David Jones and Maya, which are pretty cool. Like, there's a Gucci one. and That's not bad. Yeah. But like, I think if the government maybe assisted in this growth and just had heaps of boutiques go into that patch, then it would actually make that spot so much more unique that you can't get it anywhere else. Because why do people go to the central market? has a unique value proposition. Yep. It's not some big retailers, it's a whole bunch of little ones that provide phenomenal produce, food and all that mm. that are independent. And if you can't get the multinationals that, you know, have you know, the luxury goods or mm-hmm. you know, the similar or just those that have rules about not having too many stores in the one place. Then it's like it's just it's, oh, we bastardize it, you all. know what I mean?
1: And like Adelaide, that is um or South Australia, that's like our unique, um that's what's unique about us. It's like you know, for example, our independent grocery stores. It's why, um you know, deregulation of shop trading hours was such a um a, a hot button issue, kind of between and a, a huge difference in policy between the liberals and and labor, um because we have these you know, um really unique independent offerings of um, independent grocers um and when you look at your main streets um that's why i'm kind of investing in melbourne street and hut street um because people have spent a lot more time in their local communities because of covid yep. and they've kind of looked Definitely. around and gone what do we love about our local area and you know you form that real strong relationship with the local coffee shop or the local restaurant because you know somehow y- suddenly you were really you were connected you're invested in this like we want you guys to stay we want to support you oh for um, sure I Shout out St.
0: Guard. Yeah, I, I know. St. Guard is your incredible. Cafe. Your cafe. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. my goodness. Yep. Good spots. I love them both. So
1: they're beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. I love their fritters there. And um, uh, yeah, so you suddenly became really invested in your local community and so therefore that's a challenge for the CBD. I think Rundle Street are doing some really amazing things. They're getting Facts. some great retailers there, which Rundle is great. Rundle Street is banging. Um, yeah, really fantastic. Um, Shout out
2: to Theo Morris. He's going to turn that one around. Yeah, <laughs> right.
1: yeah Theo and Steve are doing a great job there. Um, and yeah, just creating that um, unique identity of a street is really important. Um, and so I think that's where you know we can really work with Hut Street um, on that that's I think it's a really beautiful street like I was saying it's so welcoming and inclusive like you've got the Hut Street Centre there so that's worked work to those strengths like when my family like mum two young kids um, moved into that street over 20 years ago like we felt welcomed and um, you know that's a real strength of that street where everyone feels welcome um, you know dogs are welcome it's got like this real like um, acceptance of, like, people with their, their, their dogs. So, you know, really dog-friendly cafes and things. Yeah, it's so like
0: the suburban part of the city.
1: Yeah, it's like – it's beautiful. So when a main street like that can, cr- yeah, create that unique identity, um, you know, people um, want to flock to it. And so, yeah, that is that is the challenge of so – what are you feeling? How are we, we going to make Hutch
0: Street better? <laughs> how are you going to do it?
1: Yeah, so I, I think another thing – you know that Adelaide has as a strength is like our weather. Like we're not yeah, Melbourne; it's not course. like Arctic conditions all the time. Yeah, like
0: twenty six days of rain on average. Yeah, apart like from
1: this recently.
0: Like, not sure area. where where yeah spring it's Good for the farmers.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and so uh, you know that outdoor dining. Um, you know, because that then does naturally create a sense of community and vibrancy when you see people out dining on footpaths and and things like that. So um, you know, I think that's something we can look at. Just artwork, um, you know, which supports at the same time local artists, mm-hmm. live music, um, and the Adelaide City Council are doing a lot of that in that space, which is great. Um, you know, well, there's a, a new mural. Age. There's
0: a new mural next to uh, the spot on the corner of Wakefield and Hart. Uh, that the cafe, not not by long, diagonal across from that on the back there. There's a nice All mural right. there. I, I think it yet. was. I don't know if it was council driven at all, but okay. probably was.
1: Yeah, but it's great, like that. Yeah, public art, um, yeah. art sculptures. You know that part of the city is so known for that, like with the fringe. Um, I think Illuminate really highlighted that. Yeah, we can actually be a cool city um, all year all round, year round yeah, not true. just in Mad March. Um, uh, I'm going
0: to tell you because I tell every politician that comes on that has anything to do with Adelaide. Yeah, when I was in Paris. Yeah, we were there. And it was like 12 at night and we're like, why is everything still open? And it's not c- just because it was Paris. They had a particular festival on called Sleepless Night oh my where they allowed all their retailers to stay open for 24 hours and then they had a bunch of public spaces, whether it be halls or actual like outdoor public spaces, that they had art installations and like festivals and stuff like that happening for this one night and one night only and just completely Mm. activated the whole city. I personally think one end of Rundle to the other end of Hindley Mm. would be an awesome test run for it, and over decades be able to grow it out to the whole city.
2: Wow. I was just about to say that, Hamish. Yeah. I was just about to say that about... Street, the street parties in Melbourne Street. Well, you uh, should you should pitch that to uh, the I'm Jerusalem pitching. <laughs> I'm pitching. <laughs> <laughs> I was Sorry. just going to say, but I, I really like,
1: um, you know, reading my my meditations by Marcus Aurelius yeah, and having good. a cup of tea going to bed by
2: 10 o'clock. Well, no. Melbourne Street, 30, 40 years ago, used to have an all-night street party. Did wow. it?
1: Oh, my yeah. goodness. What? See, again, yeah. being a country girl, I usually, you know, hung out in the pub um, and so I came up to Adelaide. I'm like, what are nightclubs? Why? This is so late, like, why aren't we at home <laughs> in bed so with a, a cup of tea, like, watching The Bill on a Saturday night? Oh, no, no. <laughs> I didn't say I was cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you did say you were 20 years <laughs> ahead of fashion, though. <laughs> That's true. Avish, <laughs> I want to get
2: on to um, two other points. Yeah, okay. One's a win, one's somewhere in between. So, the win I want to talk about is the Aquatic Centre. Yeah. So that's obviously a massive achievement to be able to get that done considering it's been in in stagnation for, seven, for 10, mm. 15 years. You mm. know, that roof doesn't look like it's going to hold up much longer.
1: No, it's as old as me. Yeah, so it got put on in 1985. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, that was – um like we could just see that that had literally become a political football from when, you know, Crow's wanting to take it <laughs> over to then um, – Good pun. <laughs> yeah, um, boomtish, um uh, to uh, then council – Current council not really being able to agree on a way forward. So, um, and when you did look at the numbers, only seven percent of the visitors uh, to the current centre actually do come from Adelaide City Council yeah, area. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, the counts those ratepayers um, were going to have to um, effectively fund um, its its rebuild, the ongoing capital costs, operational costs. Um, so, when you d- did actually look at the facility, it is a regional facility for for that northern. Uh, part of of Metro Adelaide, um, and you know we wanted to to do it right, yeah. So, um, I'm there every week, uh, every weekend with my kids, and it's you. There's not often places like that are really special where you go there, and there is literally people from all walks of life, yep. all stages of life, all ages, um, you know, all different cultures, like all in the one place from literally newborns, you know, like little babies um, swimming uh, to to seniors doing exercise classes um, to people um, living with disability doing, you know, therapy in the pool. Um, it's just incredible. And um, I was a swimming instructor during my university days, so I'm really passionate about teaching kids to swim. Um, and I can sing Humpty Dumpty and jump into a pool pretty well, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, it's all my resume. Eh? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, like, I'm very, very passionate about teaching kids to swim, and particularly, um, so you see a lot of migrant families there as well. Their kids learning to swim, yep. and so it is just an incredible place. <laughs> and so we, d- it deserves every one of those people deserves to have uh, a really um, amazing centre.
0: Yeah. Fair. Whereabouts is it exactly? I got the map here. Yep. Whereabouts? Oh, yeah So me to put it? Do you um, you hold down a little pin drop. Yep. Or show me. Okay, so it's on those ovals there. This is yeah. the corner,
2: it's the corner.
1: Yeah, so we South went out corner. to consultation mm. um, looking at three locations, so the north west corner.
0: Yes. Uh, As in Sorry, northeast I can, corner. Okay. Along like. northeast yeah, next corner. Next to Prospect Road yep, and the tennis courts and all that.
1: Southeast corner or southwest
2: corner? I voted for the southeast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you? Yeah, well, look, that was where I was initially looking because I wanted that connection to O'Connell Street and Yeah, yeah. And, but I, I again, I the, um, wasn't my choice I think the people it that
2: voted for that have it, have an incline of protecting the parkland, parklands yeah. park and Yeah, because so yeah, you had that beautiful row of that. trees there. Yeah, excuse me. And that.
1: That, it's a balance and that's yeah. absolutely fair enough. Um, uh, because yeah, you will have people who are purists who who don't want a, a facility like that there, but it is a community facility. Um, and it'll bring people to the parklands. Like I know, when my kids go there for swimming, afterwards we run around in the grass, or we play in the playground, or you have a picnic, or they climb trees. Like, and that's what we want. We want our next generations to be engaging with the parklands, and um, you know, forming that connection and attachment to them as well. Um, so, based on the feedback, overwhelmingly the southwest corner was chosen. Um, but what we wanted to do was take, particularly residents' feedback along Barton Terrace West. Um, and we wanted to move it slightly further north, um, yeah. so, uh, so directly, a a, yeah, 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 a buffer there, um, and and make sure that that was having the least amount of impact on trees and vegetation, and also actually look at utilising the existing car park that's there, yeah, yeah. Um, because we know the traffic works off of Jeffcott like we know that, but to look at the other options would have been then having to look at traffic impact studies for Prospect Road, um, Barton Terrace West and also the Ring Route, so Fitzroy Terrace. So um, it was about looking at that balance. Um, I know, you know, people wanted us to consider whether or not we would build it on the existing site like I said, like, I'm there every Saturday. And I you see lose the, the facility the, for two and a half you years. You lose the facility. Where do those people go? Like, there's actually a demand for, for swimming pools, um, mm. for recreational spaces, um, and, you know, I wouldn't have been able to go there every Saturday and look around. All those people, the swimming instructors, the lifeguards, the the PTs as well, so there's, there's jobs there, um, and say to people, you've got to go find somewhere else for a couple of I think of it years. should, um,
2: if it's in good nick, it should make the government some money. Like I, or, you know, at least be running at a complete, like a, you know. Break even. Break even. Because it was losing $800,000 a year. Oh, yeah, well, well, and the design
1: nice. was so incredibly inefficient. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it started as an outdoor pool and bit by bit became an aquatic centre. So, you know, so so
2: people know that. I didn't know that until you did your video on social media. Hmm. I was like, what? They put a roof on an outdoor pool? Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah, it started <laughs> as an outdoor oh pool. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> so. No, but like, like structure. <laughs> Come so, on. it structure- wasn't built for purpose. It yeah. that wild, but it's yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize it happened.
1: Yeah, they put a, a pergola. Warehouse. It's a warehouse essentially. A pergola over yeah. a pool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're gonna, you know, we're obviously um, in the process now of beginning design um, work and and making sure I want to consult with the community is on that. You have a gym. Um, oh, well, that'll be no, part no, of no. the consultation. It will, it will have a gym. I mean, it has a gym now. Gym. So yeah, but like I don't, a proper good. Gym. I don't see why we wouldn't have a, a gym ah, now. My
2: thoughts is that it should also be great. It, w- it should also have. Like a like a basketball court or something like that as well. Like some kind of like well like skating court. Like well that know, tennis court in use, the
1: so. northeast corner is like used all the time. It's yeah. packed. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Packed. It and is. it's just wonderful. It's again an example of like when you build that kind of community infrastructure, like you can bring so many people to enjoy our open green spaces and our parklands and stay fit and healthy and connected. Like um, the benefits of that are just amazing.
2: Also, it would be a good like you know nod to the Liberals wanting to put a basketball stadium. You go and say to them, oh, well, we've provided some more courts in the Aquatic Centre. And aquatic and basketball courts make money as well because mm. you can run social competitions and it brings in a huge amount of different people in. And there's yeah. no facilities in North Adelaide for basketball. Mm.
1: Oh, and that leads to one of my other commitments is actually bringing back the community hub at the Walkerville YMCA, that's um, yeah. so that's been closed now for almost 18 months. So we'll be returning YMCA's. that. YMCA uh, is? Yeah, there was a Walkville oh. YMCA there, part oh, well, of the community for yeah, the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, everyone has a connection to the YMCA. Oh, yeah. It's well, been, been empty the right. for 18 months. Um, and so we're bringing it back as a community hub. So, yeah, on the argument about the basketball stadium, I mean, I was just of the view that right now, definitely post-COVID, like that focus should be on health and actually getting people participating oh, yeah, yeah. in I, sport, I agree with Even sport from an rather than just standpoint. watching
2: it. Uh, it, it was it was ridiculous spending considering what's happened, you know $500 uh, dollars. Like no, mm. you already got entertainment centres has been repurposed and it's doing fine. I think
1: it looks good.
2: It's fine. Yeah, It's close to public like transport. It, it's not. It's not a. They don't need a new stadium. It's there needs to be m- more stadiums in general, like the ARC, the ARC over in Campbelltown. That's more the problem than there needs to be like a central stadium because they got the dome still if they want to use it. So yeah, yeah. so not here nearer there issue. Hamish, mm. do you want to bring up the next? Um, thing
0: The hospital Dun 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 <laughs> The big ticket item Of the evening Yeah <laughs> Sorry to be so dramatic No that's okay That was good that was fun a, I enjoyed it yeah. I feel like I was on radio again
1: I feel like you're going to need To zoom in on your face As you say that True For the edit
0: Dun dun, dun. <laughs>
1: Yeah um, Well you know I was talking about before um, a, a lot of my campaign Was around health um and having been uh having given birth at the the women's and children's hospital the current one um pretty traumatic birth too um ended up having to have a, a blood transfusion after having Audrey oh no. um uh, yeah it was it was um uh, pretty pretty crazy uh and so yeah just seeing how hard those staff work you know it was I I was a public patient um yeah so i had to share a room um as well um and pretty aging facility and now subsequently because it just it is the way it is when you have kids um going to the waiting room you know spending hours um there you know and seeing seeing the aging kind of facility like we need to have like our kids um deserve to have a a really world-class first-class hospital um and the site, the constraints of the the site that had been decided by the former government, um, just wasn't going to cut it. And we around the constraints
0: of the site now in being, you know, re what do you call it, refitted and all that. Yeah, and like building up on it or building over the road as well yeah. and stuff like that. Like what? What's
1: well, yeah. This gives us that opportunity to deliver those more beds. So under the previous government, it would have been only one extra overnight pediatric bed. I mean, we're spending this money on a hospital and you would have moved in and effectively outgrown it on the very first night.
0: But can't you just build up on the car? No, because site? of
1: the flight path.
0: What about over the like building a bridge over the road and, and like building above the car parking area and stuff like that?
1: Um so do you mean the, the like Kermode New Market hotel. Oh sorry, you're no, saying no, the, no, I'm existing talking about the existing site. site. Um uh I I I'm, I'm not sure on, on that one. I think, well, well really it comes back to a, a policy argument around making sure that you've um, actually got um, the women's and kids co-located with the new Royal Adelaide Hospital. Um, so um, previously, to take a step back around the history of it, um, it was going to be a combined hospital. They then looked at this idea what they do interstate of having a children's hospital and having a maternity hospital, so mums and babies, which happens in a lot of other states. Mm. I believe we used to have it with the Queen Victoria Hospital. Yeah, yeah. My nana was a, a a midwife there, um, and, uh, so but but, you know, people do know Adelaide as having the women's and kids. You know, that's a real oh, uh, sure. iconic um, uh, building. You know, the the women's and kids hospital, uh, and so you know it was re- it was obviously important to to keep that together and not duplicate those have to effectively duplicate those services with two different hospitals um and then it's really important that you, yeah you, you know we've created that health and biomedical precinct there in the city and um so one of the challenges was around you know making sure it's kind of co-located uh, but having that option that a woman if, if something did go wrong you know for example i had a traumatic birth if something went really wrong um being able to have them uh, transfer over to, to the RAR if they need to, if they need specialist care. Um, so what we've done is in the new design created that four-bed uh, four four bed ICU unit. If, if something does go wrong and they need immediate urgent care, um, but then you're still co- closely co-located um, near the Royal Adelaide. Um, and so, uh, like I said, our campaign, you know, our kind of tagline was like for the future, Like we're not here to make the easy populist political decisions that guarantee you re-election in three years' time. Like we're here, like I said, to leave the state better than when we found it and those decisions aren't just for two or three years' time. They're for the next generation. So therefore, so I know that um, my little girl, if she has kids one day or my son has kids one day, I I feel um, secure knowing that they're going to have a decent women's and children's hospital and not one that's going to be outgrown the minute we move in.
0: And that was the issue with the proposed site next to the riverbank? Correct. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, it was a really constrained site um, because of the flight path. The flight path goes directly over, so you c- couldn't build up any higher. Mm. Um, and looking at other sites, you know, you had the is it the Newmarket Hotel across the road, um, a lot of constraints around that site, um, potential around closures of um, uh, the uh, Hinley Street around there um, and also having to build a, a kind of a connecting bridge between the current hospital and, and there. Or as, so or as
0: William really likes, an underpass. An
2: Tunnels. Underpass. He Tunnels. loves a tunnel. You like a tunnel. He loves a tunnel. You speak, um, you speak about like, you know, talk about the next generation and stuff. Yeah. That argument could also be turned the other way because – I don't think anyone disagrees that the logical statements you've made about um, location being too big for, the, for that spot, finding a different location. But Susan Close came to the uh, Heritage Forum a month before the election and she goes and says, we, we're not destroying any state heritage buildings. There's 10 state heritage buildings at the proposed site mm. and they will be demolished. And there hasn't even been a consideration by Peter of maybe we could keep these buildings. Maybe we could look at a different site. Maybe we could do a combination of different things. Mm. And for us being heritage and yeah. historical fans, yeah. you know, um, and even a friend of yours and a former Adelaide member, she's come out. Mm. Jane said she doesn't support the, the concept. So what do yeah. you think about how all this plays out?
1: Yeah. Oh, and that's really chan- challenging. Like I said, I I'm um, massively, you know, really passionate about heritage as well. I mean, our family farm is named after the beautiful 100-year-old mulberry tree. That that stands on it, like I grew up in a community where, yeah, you, you value, you know, particularly the the natural um, heritage that you grow up in. So, um, yeah, that is that is really challenging. Like, and it's um, uh, it's I think because we had focused in you know, our entire campaign had been really heavily focused on on health, um, and certainly my campaign, um, I stood. Out the front, I can't tell you for how many times um, for hours uh, with a petition out the front of the women's and kids um, collecting signatures, calling for more resources for doctors and nurses, calling for a, a better designed hospital that was actually going to fit all the facilities. So I'd have to say that that had always been my absolute focus. Um, I, you know, the term wobble boarding, where you stand on the side of the road waving a sign, but, you know, I stood there out the front of the women's and kids saying, you know... Uh, they need our help like the women's and kids needs our help so it's something that I'm just so incredibly passionate about I've been the mum sitting there at in the waiting room with a sick child watching the staff you know struggling and uh, seeing you know the aging hospital around them so for me um yeah absolutely it's a really challenging um decision um but I I I believe that our kids, our women, deserve um, a hospital that's going to last us the long term. Devil. And I think yeah. they've, they've chosen that site.
0: Yeah. Can't we figure something out with the current site, though, instead of demolishing? Like building – because surely we can build up with the current site and reinforce and use utilise the car park and Flag-wise. build on top of that Flag-wise. and stuff Flag-wise. like that and build over the street. and.
1: Well, again, there was that just question around making sure, you know, with our health and biomedical precinct there – um, making sure that a women's and kids hospital is is closely located to the new Royal Adelaide Hospital. So what's it, it used clo- to what's be close it, in that definition? Um, also, they're effectively almost alongside each other in that space. So, but in terms of trying to RA, figure
0: out a site, is it like yeah. you want it within hundred meters? You want it within a kilometre? You want it well within a, two kilometres, fifty meters? Like
1: it's a bit further down now than where the site was that the former Liberal government had chosen. Um, but what they've done there, bec- and that was going to be connected by a bridge. Mm. Um, but because now it is a little bit further down, um, they've got that just as that, um, uh, they've got that four bed ICU unit. So for urgent, if, if something happens yeah, yeah. during birth, but then you've still got that, you're literally just down the road from the women's, uh, yeah. sorry, from the RA. With so, the with Commode the, Street one's yeah, just too yeah. far. Well, yeah. yeah. And because back in the day, the old RA used to be right directly underneath it. So you had the old RA right there, and you had the um, women's and kids just above it. Yeah. so they were effectively co-located very s- in a similar area so yeah but
0: then for how many years did we have the ra on north terrace east and then the yeah so children you, there. you know, it, did we find that a lot of things were going wrong oh if um, that? if was something asbestos. was
1: going wrong you needed to really you needed to get a woman into a, a ambulance asap
0: yeah okay
2: which wouldn't rock up on time now
0: did they do studies and stuff to figure I out? I can not
1: tell you that, sorry,
2: I didn't yeah, go okay. into that level of detail.
0: Fair enough. So yeah. the philosophical thing
2: <laughs> the philosophical <laughs> thing that I need to get my head around is why is some state heritage better than other state heritage? Mm. These are state heritage buildings. I said to Hamish, obviously we you know family owns the fire station. Those barracks That's and the beautiful. fire station are very similar. Mm. Because they're not they're not aesthetic, beautiful buildings. Yeah. But they represent Long time Adelaide history going back to mm. I mean that barracks have been used for the cavalry since 1830. Have you ever been there? I have before, yeah. Actually, mm. for a, a tourism event that we were doing yeah. um, consultation, um, it was like at the goal, and then we moved over into the barracks, um, and they were talking about um, how to use that area better mm. in like SATC and stuff. Um, but yeah, I just think yeah, that it doesn't set a, yeah. doesn't yeah. set a good precedent. Yeah, that who's the who's the decider of what buildings go, what buildings stay. And then – because, like, the public should have maybe mm. something to say with that, you know, or there should be an authority that has something to say with that. Yeah. Uh. So I just don't – I see it as, like, something that needs to be traded carefully. And I think yep. for you as well, in Adelaide, mm. that it's going it, to – there's a lot of people that will get annoyed yep. by and cost votes. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I know you're your obviously family. You come from um. a, a family with huge – yeah – um, goals when it comes to, to heritage and, and heritage restoration, which is amazing. Um, yeah, I, I personally am not um, – like, like I asked you around whether you'd been to the barracks because it's interesting. I'm not sure if you've ever been to the No, I've been to the jail. Yeah.
0: The gal, you say? The gal, yeah. The
1: gal. Yeah, people – yeah, Or call it goal. No, like, I call go it jail. On. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think it's a different spelling. But I didn't know you could go to the barracks. I thought they're actively used.
1: Yeah, th- that's right. Well, they're used by the police, so they're yep. not actually, um, you know, there's like a fence around them and things. Yeah. Um, we'll public. often go to the, um, like, we'll see the horses in the in the olive groves. Um, yeah. But actually, the horses are damaging the olive groves. Um, so uh, that's a, a whole other issue. But, um, yeah, I can understand that. That, um, yeah, people would be, um, uh, up, yeah, upset by
2: that. I mean, uh, if look, if you're gonna lose it for a hospital, then yeah that's not a bad reason yeah. like that's there's maybe a, some relevance there um, yeah all i can say is to, that
1: yeah my my campaign was very consistent on on yeah what i was was yeah. passionate about and um uh and making sure that we yeah do you have a women's and kids that um is going to last us more than a night yeah it's going to last us to you know generations
2: to oh, come you know we're, we're big on health definitely mm. you know
0: with such a large project like that just had a like curiosity for developments and constructions going through public sector, how do you make sure – because obviously the last hospital went way over budget and, and there was all these issues with Like, How do you make sure you don't have any of those kind of issues coming into the next project?
1: Mm. Well, th- yeah, that'll be a challenge obviously for the for the health minister.
0: Um, do you guys – just because I don't mm. 100% understand the workings of government, do you – because that's part of your seat yeah Correct. how much do you work on like on the hospital mm-hmm. as a project of yours I, being I personally seat of
1: i personally wouldn't but i have that opportunity to um you know put forward various views or the views of the community um through various committees so it might come up by you know public works committee or um uh you know there'll be a women's and children's hospital committee i think they've had in the past so um, but me as a as person, you know, I'm I'm not going to be laying the concrete or um, being part of the design meetings or anything like that, but it's certainly something that um, I need to be across as, as something that's in my electorate. As
0: yeah. in terms of like here's where we're at with it. Yeah. Like status reports. More yeah.
1: So. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because it is um, a facility for, you know, the entire state, um, not yes. just a, a local facility, whereas I might have um, – might be more on the ground when it comes to returning the community hub at walkerville for example because it's really localized infrastructure um for that that those local residents and that local community
0: mm. yeah cool all uh, right fair enough all uh, right well let's uh let's go to the next thing what are we going to do with melbourne street because mm. what said would
1: you like to see that's that's what I mean. My, my oh, job right. is to All go, night, what do you let want
0: to see? You, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see some street activations. Yeah. I would also like to see some more grant working maybe with Renew Adelaide to yeah. utilise, uh, you know, vacant commercial real estate that's mm-hmm. there. Um, I mean, one other thing is like how do you incentivize people to make their businesses cooler for maybe even existing people because it's not really fair to say, Hey, your business isn't cool enough, let's kick yeah. you out and get someone cooler that knows how to do it. Yeah. Shout out, penny hospitality, you guys know what you're doing, you guys are popping up shops well, all over. They got and the two places d- down there. Exactly. That's yeah. why I'm saying it. Yep. Um they're facts. they um, Is that the
1: one that's opened up in the yeah, old Heat. store? Heat. Yeah. Oh, and then there's next
0: a few oh, doors. Heat's down. opened
1: and then Loxley is yes. opened. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so
2: that's yeah. Hugo Peddler. I wanna sc- he was in my year at school. Great. And he also is line arts as well. Oh, wow. And the West Oak.
1: Love line arts. And, I mean, the lion is amazing. And once you all have kids, you are going to want to go to Ollie Ashenden, the shoe store. It is <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Where, yeah. That's where it we're is, growing up. Yeah, it is like the best kids shoe store ever.
2: Yeah, it <laughs> is. I and they have the little door that you go through for <laughs> yeah. the kids, yeah. yeah. I think it's events that revitalise Melbourne Street because um, if yep. it wasn't for the, you know, the, ri- the silly restrictions that were going on during um, uh, New Year's Eve, Mm. The lion actually had a New Year's Eve party, street oh, yeah. party. It was actually wow. good considering that people could. It was like a ticketed event and limited capacity. They did that next year with no restrictions. Mm-hmm. I could see easily two thousand people going. That Amazing. being said,
0: though, yeah. it was it didn't it didn't give access to the whole street to be a part of it as per se. Even though it was like you know, yep, Jason, it was on. It was very much a Jerningham party. Yeah, it wasn't a Melbourne street party. Right. No. And it was yeah. very so favoring yeah. that corner, like the lion. And you know, obviously, it's an it's an institution of South Australia. That's where you. That's that how you build area,
2: isn't it? That's how you build. You build line and then out. But the n- nonetheless,
0: yeah. that's I think going further down. Yeah. But for street parties and stuff like that. But I even think just making ha- like figuring out ways to incentivize people making their businesses better. Mm-hmm. Um because that's going to help the street, right, is yeah. if you have better businesses. Because over time, it's turned from being more of a hospitality to especially on the west side of that street being to very medical. Mm. And then you have the yeah. David Roche uh, Museum, Museum, which is cool. That's Oh, it's amazing. Phenomenal location.
1: I love the, the David Roche Museum. Yeah. It is yeah. so cool. It's like having your own little like freaking New York like right here in Melbourne Street. Yeah, like exactly. It's fantastic, and then yeah, how you benefit from you know we're going to have the Aboriginal um, cultures gallery I'm so as well. For that. So like you so know, making that. sure that we can be like, hey, Melbourne Street, we're over here. You know, come like get your culture, um, and come for you know dinner or or um, lunch. Like that's amazing. we not
0: much dinner. Food, isn't it? Yeah. There's not much dinner there.
2: No, yeah, there used to be, and three or four years ago, yeah. they all shut down. Yeah.
1: yeah, I know. I used to go there during uni to the to Mexican Montezumas. Um, Still all the good. time. Yeah, Zapatas yeah. is very
2: Zapatas one of the best restaurants in in the uh, state, actually. To be honest. Yeah, but there's a bunch of restaurants on the other side. Um, Penny Univers- uh, Penny Hospitality side. There's like a, there was like a Chinese restaurant. There was like a, there was a there's fancy, Chinese fancy true, yeah. French restaurant. It's gone. It's gone. But it just they just kept losing mm. businesses from that middle area from where the you know the store. How uh, yep. that's not. Operating it anymore
1: No that's Loxley now Yeah yeah.
2: That was a That was a massive When, that, when they lost that corner Yeah That really hurt the street in general Absolutely Because yeah. the corners yeah. make Things look like they're busy like exactly. when you go to Hindley Street When you're going down um, You're going over the bridge And you look over to the Rosemont You look around Oh it's pretty busy tonight I better go out But yeah. if that corner's not busy You ain't going out
0: And again any hospitality
1: Outdoor dining That's where we're talking about Like because it creates That sense of vibrancy That people yeah. are there And we've got the perfect weather for it yeah. Um yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And then yeah, creating that kind of village heart, but then how do you um yeah, you ensure that flow on benefit. So, um I, you know, Prospect Road, um, because I'm based in Prospect, you know, has really um come up over the years. Oh, and yeah. so yeah, it's about getting those lessons and connecting in. So I actually got their economic development team at the time to come and speak to Hut Street traders. This is when I was the candidate Beautiful. just to share stories around what worked. Um, you know, because people saying in Hut Street, oh, we don't have an ATM needed this prospect <laughs> there is not a single atm like there's one at the otr um so you can't just blame the fact that you don't have an atm for a while you don't have people in your street um <laughs> it's it's about uh, identity and 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 soul and cr- uh, creating those um cafes that people want to go to um so I'm
0: sorry, but we don't have an ATM. <laughs> Our yeah. I'm, and work,
1: I'm not dude. saying sorry. That was specific to Hutt Street, but you <laughs> know, sounds some sounds people a might say, "Would
2: say, man, there's no ATM in this town." I, yeah, you know, no, I, I mean, that's a big deal, though. It,
1: it's yeah. certainly been an issue for Hut Street that we used to have lots of banks, and it's where people yeah, it's did true. stop as a thoroughfare. Um, you know, to go to bank, SA or, or etc. We're not et cetera. doing so, banking so, like that anymore. Um, but no. So, like, it's um, it's really looking at yeah, how do you create that identity and and think about your you know, it's no different to this podcast. It's no different to it's marketing, isn't it? It's like, who is yeah. your audience?
0: Well, it's a bit spaced as well. Yeah, it's a bit spaced. There used to be like a lot of like really lively places all next to each other. Um, oh, but, but there's I got feel some like
1: amazing things happening. Like, I don't know if you've gone to the Olivia Hotel? That is gorgeous, no, in incredible Hotel. little um, kind of quirky uh, small bar. Uh, amazing! Oh vibe. yeah, yeah, yeah!
0: I've been there. Yeah, okay. it's brilliant. Sorry, um, that's fantastic. Like Havlock's
1: hotel. doing um, a big renovation. Yep. Saw um, that. We've got you know Coffee Philosophy, which is incredible yep, It's good. Bella is Booster's absolutely wild. going off all the time. That's true. All the time. Um. So no, and we've Kianti. got some Canty's ama- institution. Yeah. Like incredible. Um. So no, that we've got some amazing um businesses in Hut Street. It's just, yeah, how do you bring it all together and, you know, just create that yeah, buzz so and that So it's a collaboration
2: vibe. between the businesses rather than feeling like they're competing against each other. It's like, oh, yeah. hey, I've got a Italian restaurant. Oh, you've got a Chinese restaurant. Yeah. Well, someone t- sometimes I feel like Chinese, sometimes I feel like Italian. Well, yeah. the
0: big part – well, I mean, you've got Bailong as well. Shout Bailong. Oh, Baalong. Baalong store. oh, oh so, store. so good. Yeah, yeah, I, I so started good. with them when they started oh, really? on their marketing social oh, media. It's, oh, I love Ballon. So Shout-outs to Ballon. Yeah, House of Chow,
1: another yeah. Hut Street institution.
0: Yeah. Yep. Well, didn't they just get sold? I oh, did it? I think so. It's all right.
1: I love it. I love it. There's love a bunch of good
2: it. breakfast places.
1: Oh, Bartirino is really good. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: But I think a, a big part of what I've heard of why people aren't um, huge on that street, there's two things. There is a fair bit of commercial vacancy. Mm-hmm. I did a study there in, what was it, 2018, in the last council election. That with uh, the Lord Mayor campaign for Mark Hamilton mm-hmm. and just walked down the street and actually just counted all the, the shops because that was part of his yeah. thing that he wanted to do was create a task force to uh, alleviate or I guess incentivize people to move back into the city with uh, whether it be council rates and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Um, so the commercial vacancy, so it is a bit spread out in terms of like it being full of tenants yep. and then also the homelessness was like, seemed to be a pretty big, a big issue problem, for people. Yeah. People yeah. complaining about it all the time. It's, like, safety, lighting as well yeah. was a thing.
1: Whereas, like, you know, the Hutt Street Centre's had a redevelopment, but, like I said, like, it, I, th- I really do think that that is can, – can be its strength, that, that this is a really welcoming, inclusive place. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but there
0: is definitely a safety issue with, with a fair bit of the homeless.
1: Mm,
3: yeah. That
0: is, is definitely not something to brush over, I don't yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. Because I've been around – Working a car parking mm-hmm. some homeless that do get rather aggressive and you do have yeah. to call the police because yeah. you'll be in danger yeah um,
1: and, and look and a busy city is a safe city if you have you know if you've got plenty
0: people more around.
1: people plenty of people around lots happening there's lighting the shops are open that's the safest that's a safe street
0: yeah it's true because didn't it wasn't what I heard was Glenside when Glenside shut down like a lot of the people that were there. That were taken off the streets <laughs> were then let out, which sounds not let out. I it sounds <laughs> a bit ridiculous when you <laughs> yeah. say it. Mm. But did that
2: happen?
1: Because oh, <laughs> it sounds, well, sounds no, it sounds a bit recit- how you yeah. go that yeah.
2: they get let out. The X ward was <laughs> shut down, like, which is the very high level mm. crazy mm-hmm. stuff. But Glenside still operates. We've, a yeah. we've
1: got a, um, a urgent mental health facility now in the city, um, O'Brien Street from memory, but. Um, uh, yeah, so, yeah, on, on the topic of homelessness, we've got our Human Services Minister, Nat Cook. She's absolute powerhouse yeah, she's in this good. area. She is just, like, relentless in, in um, advocating in this space. And um, obviously during the campaign that we announced our commitment to return funding that had been cut um by the, the previous government, you know, to Catherine House, to Vinnie's, to Hutt Street Centre, um, but also working on... Um, and you know, it it does come down. Like, there's a lot of reasons people don't choose to be homeless. Like, there's a lot of reasons that of that relate to At it. All. Um, uh, around, um, yeah, obviously, mental health, lack of affordable housing, um, uh, Traged, losing tragedies. connections, yeah, and yeah. losing connections from community. It's why I always come back to like a you know more connected community is a strong community because if someone knows your name, if someone's checking in, that can make a huge difference. Um, and so. Yeah, Nat and I, a couple of weeks ago, you know, there's some amazing stuff that's happening in this space. We went and visited a place in the city called Terra Firma. Uh, it's run by Lutheran Care, um, focused on people 45 and over, includes couples. You're allowed to bring your pet. You know, a lot of people nice. have pets. Like, they'll feed their pet, their dog or their cat, before they'll feed themselves. Like, um, and so, and that gets them back on their feet. Usually, um, they're in this. Uh, so it's kind of like a hostel kind of um, style accommodation, gets them back on their feet. Um, they work, you know, people assist with them to get them either into the private rental market or into public housing. Um, and, you know, average stay of anywhere around, I think it was two to three months, and gets them back on their feet. Like there's some amazing stuff happening. Um, but also massive investment in public housing, like having access to that. So uh, spending has $180 million in that space. I was very supportive
2: of lot. the policy changes. Mm-hmm. Mark Elton uh, was su- supportive of the street been there because there was talks about getting rid of it by some people, Mm. which was way extreme. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I know it's really like during COVID in particular, um, like the pilgrim center in Flinders street, um, you know, you often would ask, yeah, well, so why is there the homelessness, you know, in the city? It can be things like, obviously they've got access to, you know, to public transport and services. Um, but often it's more lighting so you can feel safer. Um, you know, during cold weather, um, people would sleep next to your air conditioning units because they got warmth, you know. So um, when you hear those realities, it's like yeah. I just cannot imagine, um, yeah, you know, having to be in that situation where you do have to sleep rough. It would be, be really hard.
0: So fair, yeah. especially since the modern world is so good, mm. the modern first world. Yeah. Because, I mean, you think about it like this, just a little anecdote. kings back in the day, or kings and queens of, like, the medieval times, they wouldn't have had the comfortable living that someone has in an apartment today. Nowhere near the same. Yeah. Like, they didn't have climate control. where They would have been freezing in there. Like, yeah, they had fires, but, like, they're huge castles. They still would have been cold. Yeah. And today, just in a little apartment, you got it all. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: I know, like, I don't, yeah, I, um, you know, I didn't have, like, it sounds ridiculous, but it's like, um, yeah, I didn't have air conditioning till I moved up to Adelaide. Like, you know, you didn't have air conditioning in your country home or something like that.
0: Like I've it's never, a fire guy, I've never know, had air conditioning.
2: There you go. My, at my parents' house. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: you I had a know. nice gas gas fire, there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Not like certainly, room.
1: like <laughs> the 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 world that we live in now of all these creature comforts. Um, and yeah, that is. A sad reality that yeah we you know we all expect to have the big screen TV people or the or the well, ducted air conditioning zone controlled you know to each room and then there are people literally sleeping next to an air conditioner for warmth because they're homeless like Facts. it's
0: yeah harsh realities
1: yeah it's um yeah and I'm so glad that yeah we have an amazing advocate in that cook that's that's fighting for have that you space. traveled
0: and seen some of that. Like around the world, have you been to some pretty impoverished places yet?
1: Uh, well, look, it's it's in London. Um, uh, I've done a lot of Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, and travelled through Vietnam, um, Mor- uh, Morocco. Oh, you've been to Morocco? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did that's a so trek. Cool. I did a trek into the Sahara. Yeah. Uh, on on a camel. That's oh. cool. <laughs> um, seen that movie not. Treks? What? No, I haven't.
0: Uh, I think it's called Treks. and it's about this lady. She was from another country and she came and, like, befriended – well, not befriended – tamed a camel mm. and then travelled, I think it was from the centre of Australia all the way to the west coast. Yeah, wow. And it was, like, a true true story.
1: I was not very prepared. I assumed that <laughs> the um, the desert nomads who were taking us into the desert would provide water, so I took along my bottle of red wine – <laughs> um, on my camel, um, only to realise that yeah, water was quite scarce, <laughs> and uh, we travelled in with these nomads, um, and stayed in in one of their tents, and they made us a tagine, like the the traditional Moroccan kind of stew. Oh yeah, um, yeah. incredible. Yeah, and and then we went sanding walking and, and looking up at the stars, and yeah, it was in, incredible. But um, We've seen note, so many stars out there. Take oh, it was incredible. Take take water. When you go into the Sahara would yeah. be my, my yeah. hot tip.
0: Or any desert or warm place for that Any matter. desert, actually, um, <laughs> <Hydrate>. anywhere, anywhere, <laughs> National every day, park included.
1: Hydrate regularly, yeah. <laughs> new, new, new policy,
2: hydrate. Yeah, hydrate. Yeah. Back to yeah. basics, get yeah. water in your two litres a day, eight yeah. cups of reference.
1: Particularly if you're going to one of the hottest places in the world, yeah. <laughs> Facts,
0: yeah. I mean, yep. imagine going to Central Australia. I feel like living yeah, out there exactly. would be
1: wild. Mm. Mm. Yeah,
0: yep. I want to go to that Mount Woodruff. Oh yeah, it's yeah. the tallest like mountain in okay. South Australia, right. and I think it's in the north, the oh, wow. Corner of yeah. South Australia. You have to get okay. permission to yeah. go there
2: because it's in Aboriginal native lands. Oh wow! Yep. Yeah, right. yep.
1: amazing. Yeah, well, I'm I'm learning Ghana language actually. Talking no. about our yeah, what right, words our country. Uh, so um, I've got my my Yakan Tamari, my dearest brother. He's a Ghana elder. Uh, so he's teaching me. Um, so right now, um, yeah, whenever I go to a community event, um, I do the Acknowledgement of Country in Ghana. So yeah, so, do it for us? Yeah, so um, uh, I would have loved I should have done it at the start, actually. Namani, um, Mani Napudni, Nainari, Lucy, Goodnato Hood, Ghana, Mirina Nadlu, Ghaniata, Tampinthi, Natalia. And so I've said, uh, you know, thank you um, for, for being here. Um, my name is Lucy Hood and I'm the third born in my family. As we in Ghana you always identify if you're the first, second, third, fourth born. Uh, and that, yeah, I acknowledge that we meet today lands of the Ghana people um, and that this is Ghana uh, land. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it's wonderful. Uh, my uh, Yakuntalia Tamari is so generous with his time and um, we met through uh, citizenship ceremonies at, at Prospect. And um, uh, I just think it's one way, like when you think of all the languages, um, uh all the Aboriginal languages and only a few now are actually spoken. Um, I love that my little girl sings um, a Ghana song through school and, you know, this is the oldest living culture in the, on the planet. Like it's pretty amazing to to be able to share their words.
2: They're actually so embracing of the white fella trying to learn their culture as well. Like i never seen a culture that was more embracing of when you actually go and ask questions about... Yeah, like um, so un- un-
1: Uncle Tamaru, you know, he talks about it every citizenship ceremony. He he gets a new citizen up on the stage, and he says, "Um, I don't walk behind, I don't walk in front, like we walk alongside each other." And so that's always been his philosophy around uh, teaching Ghana. Um, for, for him, he just you know, that's so proud um to be able to hear Ghana spoken, and um, so yeah whenever there is that opportunity if someone's already done the acknowledgement of country before you there's nothing wrong with you getting up and doing it again like you know this is this is Ghana land like we should embrace and be proud of it um and uh yeah I'd love to see more you know Ghana art like um Uncle Tamari does a lot of Ghana art that's kind of um where you 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 kind of draw the family unit and and then connect it to the other families and yeah it's just all about culture and um yeah respecting the land and um, yeah, I'm just so, uh, yeah, very very um, privileged and humbled that I get to um, learn Ghana language through my Yakuntalia Tamari.
0: So okay. fair. I'm really keen for the Arts and Cultural Centre. Was it called Centre or Museum?
1: Yeah, um, it's, so it's Aboriginal Culture Centre, but it does have a name. I'm sorry, I just, it, um, I'm just, i not sure. If, I don't want to pronounce it incorrectly, so oh, good. I have to get it back to you. I'm
0: really keen, and I hope this happens in the curation of it, That we get to see, like, who are the heroes of the history Mm. of the indigenous of this country? Yeah. You know, like, who, what kind of like conflicts were there throughout history and how did they go? Because, you you know, like, you get that back in um, like European history and all that. And it's like, you they're wild stories well, that's why yeah and um, you get to see the political you know arguments yeah. you know, like the story of troy and like whoa oh my god and like why it happened it was over a woman being stolen because she was seduced and all this stuff and like it's just these awesome like stories mm. that are huge and um also, just like the real thinkings, you know, whether it be Marcus Aurelius and like exactly what he was thinking. It was the indigenous feeling person for that on yeah. like the on his mm. daily life and stuff like that. Like, yeah. what was his mentality? What was his view on politics? What was his yeah. view on just like existence of being? On oh,
1: that, uh, and that's you know the state-based delivery and you know statement like voice treaty truth like t- that that um, truth telling is such an important part. Um, of reconciliation as well, like hearing about what happened, like being really open and honest about, you know, the things that did happen back then. But, yeah, their elders and, and the key people that, that formed part of uh, their culture and their history, um, yeah, there's um, – uh, yeah, we need to really embrace that, um, yeah. celebrate it, but also feel it, like feel and, – and that's the importance about truth-telling. Sometimes the history isn't easy to hear. But it's um, important that we listen.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. You got to know the realities. Yeah, you know, mm. truth is important. Truth is kind of like all that matters. What's yeah. the point of living in a world where truth does not exist? Mm. You know, you're living in a fantasy that is just yep. by someone's making. Yeah, the Matrix. Of what
2: happened? Here is a policy suggestion for education: is that um, this stuff is just not taught. We mm-hmm. had to inquire ourselves. We had to be intuitive. We had to find the right people. We had to do a walk to figure out some of the things that we know now and yeah. and uh, I talked to the average person they and they they love to be opinionated on their activism mm. but they really don't know much and they have no connection with people and uh, that needs to be considerably changed because if it doesn't get changed, we're never going to have really good reconciliation. We're never going to close the gap yeah. if people don't understand what the gap is in the first place.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: So true. Yeah,
0: Big facts. Yeah, doing the walk was phenomenal. Do you, kn- you know about the walk?
1: What
0: work did you do? So, George and I and Will was like the oh, your logistics. Walk. Yeah. Yeah, From your walk. Adelaide your huge to Mount walk. Galia.
1: That's incredible. Well, you went through – did you go through Narocourt?
0: Did we go through Narocourt? I went through Millicent.
2: Millicent. Ah, you went
1: through Millicent.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Plus, you could have stopped at Morris's Bakery and had a kitchen them. <laughs> in Narocourt.
2: I if someone did get, I think you guys we, did. Yeah, we drove to Narocourt
0: on the way back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because we went and saw Tatum's, <laughs> yeah. Tatum's like, auntie or uncle. Oh, nice. You could have yeah, stopped right at Billy
1: Max where I used to sell raffle tickets to the truck raffle at Well, the we went bar. to the spot on the Black corner
0: Sphinx. across from that Art Deco hotel that's, like, abandoned.
1: Oh, the King Craig?
0: I think so. I don't hotel. know what it's called. Okay. It's just this nice hotel. That I'm like, oh, that would actually be really cool if it was, like, yeah. Like in, um, refitted.
2: That was, like, haunted pub they stayed in in Millicent. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that
0: was wild and millicent. That like one at night. Like no kidding. Like doors were slamming. Oh golly. And like I went into a room, I left a room, and then I tried to go into the room and it was locked. I actually And then it. someone locked the door on you. <laughs> no no you didn't. <laughs> there was <sighs> spooky stuff. Oh, oh, actually my kids trying to call me.
1: <laughs> the, well, yeah, if you
0: want to close up soon, that's yeah, fine. Yeah,
1: my to. sorry, just cuz my little ones are trying to call She's
2: going to tell you about her ex or something, her next Yeah, ex. probably. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, well, let me just tell you this one story about the Millicent downstairs. So downstairs, George and the Shout, we're the only ones there at this time and I'm hearing downstairs what sounds like, oh, no, actually, i screwed up story. We were in bed, everybody was in bed and I go out of my bed and it sounds like downstairs there's just a gang of people all having fun, like being rowdy and all that. Pub shot like nine. It was like twelve.
2: Oh my goodness. There's no one there. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I be I grew up in Bulagoon. We have um a house called strewn House just nearby. And uh there's rumours that, that is that it's haunted as well.
0: Do you believe in it? Do you believe in haunted things and the paranormal?
1: I don't I don't I don't know. Like seeing is believing. So I think, yeah, like if I If I saw something that I would really have to question, like hang on, what's happening here? Yeah, but I I haven't pondered it too much, too into my stoicism.
0: Yeah, (laughs) haven't looked into multi-dimensional theories of reality and all that. That's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. All right, well, I'll let you go because you got kids and all that. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate your time, attention your efforts and work, you know, to this state to make it a better place. Thank you. Thank you so much. Is there anything you would like to share before we Oh, wrap I just up? want
1: to say thank you for giving me the opportunity. And like like I said, you know, it, I love sitting down. I love talking, uh, talking, uh, <laughs> but I love listening to, to people's stories as well. So just to be able to give me an opportunity to tell mine is pretty amazing. So, yeah, I will just end it by saying in uh, Ghana, Natalia, my respect.
2: Thank you. Can <laughs> no, I I'll say something? um I think you keep this tradition going well in the Labor Party, and that's the great Tony Abbott once said. It was after the passing of Bob Hawke. He said that Bob Hawke was great because he had a Labor heart and a Liberal head. And I think that's something that you embody, in, in in you know, in the duopoly of our politics, is that you've got to have an, an understanding of both sides mm. and then bring that pragmatism to you know to making everyone's lives better. Mm,
1: thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. It was thank great you. fun. <laughs> Uh, we out. We out.